0: Get it going, it's time to get up. I don't think there's ever been anybody who was better on the ball than Maradona. His vision and his skills and his instincts. I could say he's second best, I could say he's third best, but in his moment, I'm not sure anybody was ever better than he was. These guys are here to break it all down. Someone that just played with such incredible passion, and when I say play with passion, I mean they on and off the pitch, because this man packed a lot into that life, he lived hard. There's no doubt about it. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. God, I, I'm going to kill this guy when I get off the phone. This is the starting lineup with James Savolsky and Perry Solkowski. Hey,
1: what's happening, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving to our neighbors south of the border. It is Thursday, November 26. James Cebulski here, Perry Solkowski there, Greg Balick on the other side of the glass right here on your home of the Canucks. This is the starting lineup. On Sportsnet 650. This is a day pair. And in the past, like there were a lot of times that this was a day I would take off and just hunker down and eat and drink and gorge on football.
2: Oh, it's gonna! I, I thought you were gonna take me down the road of and have a turkey and all that. Yes, it, I'll say this. I'll say this. I, I especially over the last four years, I have never been. Oh, I wish I lived in America. That's a great. You know, land of the free, home of the brave. You can do anything in the American dream. This was always the one day that I did admire them because they do Thanksgiving better than we do. Their <laughs> parades, their football, they've always done, and I like our Canadian Thanksgiving, but they do Thanksgiving better than we do. Um, you are right, man. It's a great day. I like looking at the show. We'll have our meeting afterwards, and hopefully by 930 we're done, and it's time for kickoff. And as well, as he said, Four futile football teams, but storylines are always there. Um, look forward to it; it's it's going to be fun.
1: No, no, like it, it was just the the combination of college football games, the NFL mm-hmm. games. There was always it always seemed like there was at least one really memorable outcome uh, in the National Football League. But I remember when I was in college, there was uh, I had a couple of buddies who I'd got to know, and they had them and their buddies. They would take the day off and somebody would they'd rotate somebody would do a bird mashed potatoes stuffing gravy the whole nine yards and then you know case of beer and and you know somebody would bring a chili as well and it was just like a full-on gorge fest um kind of a la american style and we just hunkered down and, and watch football all day and it was it was awesome and i think like to to this day, I think there's a lot of people that will just clear the deck on a day like today and just say, you know what? I'm watching football today. It's a Thursday. I'm not going to the office. I'm watching games. Like And there's a few of those days on the calendar every year. Uh, there is. It, you
2: know... We had uh, Berkey will join us at seven o'clock. There was one year uh, down in the Boston area. I think the team was, it was Turkey with Berkey. I had already left traveling with the team, but we did happen to be in Detroit one year on Thanksgiving. So, you know, through the connections, Shorty and I and a few others, it's just, okay, is there any way we can get tickets like you it was the day you took off, but every Thursday of Thanksgiving, you were going to watch the football game, the first one as it is today in Detroit. And I had yet to be to an NFL game. So I'm going, this is fantastic. I get to see my first NFL game. And not only is it just a game, it is the Thanksgiving Day game. Can't believe it. So you think about it, 9 30 kickoff this morning. That's twelve thirty in Detroit. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem that early. But you go to the game and you you really, you wake up and to get there really in tailgating, we didn't do a whole lot of, we just kind of made our way. James, to this day, I remember a little bit about the football game, but forever imprinted on my brain is incredibly how hammered the people were. Like I had never been to a sporting event where there were just people all over the place sloshed. And I'm thinking, gosh, like it's only 1230. And then the fights that broke out, it was the farthest thing. From making me go, this is an awesome game. It was like, man, like, can you guys just not watch the game? Now I enjoyed it all, but never did I think the fans would be the sideshow that they were. So you think of today. I always like the lines to win football games on Thanksgiving, but today will be a little bit different simply because nobody's there to watch them play. But boy, that Thanksgiving game memory, the illusion was kind of busted a little bit going, oh, yeah, no, that's just a big drunk show for the fans. Some are eating, some are drinking, but it's a day of football south of the
1: border. See, you know, I went down to Dallas for work one year. Um, This would be about 12 years ago. And I had a chance for some tickets uh, for the final um, Thanksgiving game at the old, you know, Cowboy Cowboy Stadium. Stadium. And that was, this was, I think, 2007. And I was all excited to do it and, and go and and to have some tickets and ready to go check it out and thought, man, like this is everything I've wanted to do. And I got on the plane to fly from Toronto because I was covering the Leafs at that time. I got on a plane from Toronto to Dallas. And as I got on the plane, it was like something doesn't feel right. And I thought my head was going to explode. Landed was like, oh. Why is my eye all, like, bloodshot red, and why is my head going to explode? So I wound up going to the hospital. Turned out, like, I had a horrible sinus infection. (laughs) And so had these tickets, and the next day I basically sat hunkered down in a hotel room, like one of the only times I've ever been, like, deathly ill, and just sat (laughs) in the hotel room in a tub, you know, listening to the game on the TV, because I couldn't even oh. watch the television. I'm like, man, like, I'm here in Texas, Cowboys game, Thanksgiving, checking all the boxes, and I'm just, like, so close yet so far from happiness. Ugh, oh, that's tough.
0: I know! That,
2: oh, to be sick, we covered a great Cup, a uh, buddy of mine, our cameraman, we went, it was his hometown of Winnipeg, and, you know, worked hard, worked hard. And I don't know what he got, like, the middle of Saturday afternoon. And it's just like, okay, so we came all this way. We're covering the Grey Cup. And are you're not even going to be available to work for me? And then you're scrambling, just trying to find, like, you got to do your job. He can't do his job. There's just at some point you get past that sick thing. So, when yeah, you get those big events coming up and or as a fan and all that. Talk about trying to power through. It is just not the same. That's not what you dream of, right? You're going to that big event and your body
1: lets you down. Oh, there's nothing worse than that. Yeah, there is a bit of a a buzzkill to that. Uh, Here's what we got coming up over the next uh, three hours. By the way, 20th anniversary, uh, you're talking about covering uh, events, 20th anniversary of uh, Lupus Aglia's final game as a BC Lions as the Lions beat uh, the Montreal Alouettes in the Grey Cup in Mm. 2000 in Calgary. My first Grey Cup that I covered, but I digress on that. Uh, 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumber text line always open for business at Sportsnet 650 is where you can find us on Twitter as well. Uh, John Crick, uh, post-media NFL writer, will drop by in just a couple minutes. We'll look ahead to today's action and kind of lost the best of the bunch here with more COVID. Man, all the COVID right now impacting everything. and You wonder what's going to happen with the World Juniors going on. Uh, In Alberta right now, the entire team now is in quarantine for the next two weeks. You mentioned Brian Burke dropping by at 7 o'clock as well. Burkey's back after a few weeks off. Um, We'll also talk to Bob Letter doozy at seven forty five this morning and uh, we'll share some stories and reflect on uh, um the icon. Diego Maradona, who tragically passed away uh way too soon at the age of sixty yesterday. Uh that's coming up at seven forty five this morning, and then Ian McIntyre will drop by for your Canucks commute coming up at eight o'clock this morning. Pear, uh I thought there was a fascinating read in uh on postmedia yesterday. Uh, the Vancouver province with an article about JT Miller and what could have happened in the playoffs that man like JT Miller, his mother-in-law was battling brain cancer and ultimately passed away uh, tragically on September 8th. But the night they lost game seven to the Vegas golden Knights on September 4th, he was on a plane that night racing back East to be with his family and to be with his wife. Um, And you kind of look at the story, and it was like, man, family first. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. But could you imagine, you know, the idea and and from a selfish standpoint, from a hockey standpoint, could you imagine losing J.T. Miller had they actually beat Vegas?
2: Yeah, well, here's what I thought of that story. First, I can't believe for a bunch of young athletes how they have been surrounded by death in the last Year and a half, you know, going oh, back to Markstrom, okay. No Stetcher and Miller and Zach McEwen. These are young men and they're losing, you know, parents or in-laws that, you know, are in their fifties and sixties. But the one thing I thought if we're going, wow, what's going through his head that he's dealing with it and, and Miller saying his wife saying, No, 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 I'm okay. You don't have to come back, but he was certainly coming anyways. Um was And we talked about it all through the bubble. And it'll be interesting to see, James, how much or if it changes in the new CBA. Uh, if J.T. Miller doesn't show up and they just say unfit to play, are you kidding me? You can't. So, you know, if if that would have taken place and they have won and J.T. Miller disappears that night as was planned, you then have to, you know, you have to come up with personal reasons. You have to let the fan base know because I don't think there'd be anybody going, screw J.T. Miller, the team's more important. No. No, I know sometimes the hardcore fans will think that, but this is their job. Real life is more important. And I think everyone would have said, you know, okay, wish him the best. If he gets back, that's great. And those athletes do what they can to get back as quick as possible. But at some point we're going to be hit by the unfit. The play just doesn't work anymore. Oh. Uh but amazing the tragedy that these guys have been through together. And I think it's, you imagine that team, he would have told the guys what's going on. And again, it's those kind of bonding agents that makes this team, I think, a little bit different and have that intangible that might move them forward more as a group.
1: Well, it's, you know, Besser, Markstrom, uh, the list goes on and on with what those guys endured. But you're right, with, with, when it's too ambiguous um, a statement, it forces a lot of people to start speculating, and that's a very slippery slope when you're dealing with, you know, a personal tragedy that the family was kind of enduring at that time almost three months ago. Uh, We'll get into this much more over the course of the morning, but uh, as we mentioned, uh, the NFL ready to go. This is the NFL's day at U.S. Thanksgiving, and, uh, well, it was supposed to be three games on the slate, but uh, we're down to two. Uh, John Crick uh, from Post Media, NFL uh, lead writer, joins us here bright and early this morning. John, good morning, sir. Good morning,
3: guys. Hey, um, I know that there's a lot of your listeners out there that aren't still too well this morning, right? I mean, it has nothing to do with the fact that there's two NFL games on. No, 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 nothing to do with that. You just might have to stay home today. So, you know, just putting that out there.
1: Well, I, it's almost like a day to kind of rethink if you had the day off and you kind of think, well, you got four teams playing today that are a combined 13 and 27. Maybe I do need to go into the office after all, right? I mean, if there was well, ever yeah, a time... I mean,
3: if you weren't sick before, maybe you would be after Good Good boy. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Hi, John. How much do you think uh, – we'll get into what we're going to see at 9.30 to start it off because the NFL is the NFL. In the world of betting, every game carries importance. And as bad as the NFC East is, there's a lot on the line this afternoon. How hard because it is Thanksgiving, it was the prime time, it was the Steelers, do you think that decision was to – postpone and move to sunday the late game today
3: i believe they, the the nfl's like any pro sports league in that they're going to be very hesitant to make a decision on a postponement of a game that is going to impact the competitive nature of that game and not to get too long-winded here but about all the COVID rules but with the ravens going through what they're doing with their little outbreak there thank no thanks to their uh strength and conditioning guy who was found not to be doing the proper masking and, and isolating. Um, so his recklessness uh, has put two, uh, three actually, uh, and, and maybe more after last night's uh, anonymous uh, test, uh, players uh, at risk of not playing. Now here's the deal though. With uh, high risk close contacts in the NFL, even if you're suspected of it, you immediately are uh, must self-isolate for five days. So having learned this Sunday night, uh, about their two of their top three running backs, rookie J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, went immediately into that five-day protocol. Well, with a Thursday game, they had no chance of playing. Now they do, and this is a team, of course, that you know is as dependent on its rushing attack as any in the league. And they're reeling; they've lost three of four. This is a huge game for the Ravens, and if they were going to go play the Steelers tonight, without Ingram and Dobbins, it would have been a big liability for that team. Well, because now of this whole uncertainty in the team and whether it's safe or not, I mean, I understand the Steelers uh, players, including Chase Claypool, your guy, um, are are upset that, you know, well, this isn't fair to them. They've now had two games, two weekends off wrecked this year (laughs) or changed this year because of COVID issues on other teams. Tennessee first, right? Changed their bye week.
1: That, and that's that's the fascinating thing. Like, I was just going to say, John, like, this is a team that, you know, the Steelers have quietly not only taken care of business on the field, but, you know, they've kind of kept their ducks in a row off the field as well for the most part this season. And, you know, you look at kind of one of those, like, a have team in the NFL, like, just structurally, organizationally. Like, the Steelers have always been a model of consistency. And, and a lot of guys have publicly yeah. come out and called out, you know, you know, without kind of pointing explicit fingers, they're pissed off. And, and I think they've got every right to be here in this situation because this has happened, what, two three times now this season already, that yep. their opponents can't keep, they can't keep their ducks in order, but the Steelers have certainly done taking care of business for themselves.
3: Well, great point. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they had their very first Case uh, of not just the player, but any support staff. I mean, you have to real when you realize that there are nearly 10,000 individuals in the league mm-hmm. between players, coaches, and team support staff from you know, doctors, trainers, all that that are getting tested for COVID every single day. And the Steelers, after and this all began in late July when with the advent of training camps and through. August training camps, all through September, all through October, and, and deep into November, the Steelers, as you say, didn't have a single individual test that positive. That's that's amazing. And I think Seattle's the last one um, that hasn't, at least from players. I'm not sure if they had any support staff because they don't identify them. Uh, but that's amazing what the Steelers have done. And sure, I mean they're undefeated. They're on a roll, and you know. And the thing is, is that the teams obviously they, I don't know if most. Listeners know this or not, but on a short week like this, when they just played Sunday and we're supposed to play tonight they wouldn't actually have a physical practice. They would have what are called walkthroughs. So it isn't that that's all ruined now because, you know, they've gone through and already had their physical practices for the game. They don't have physical practices this week Teams on the short week. Well, maybe now they will. So, you know, I'm sure Mike Tomlin being the, the, you know, make lemonade out (laughs) of lemons type of a coach, and he's fabulous that way, I'm sure he'll say, hey, you know, maybe we can now get in a, a a hitting practice this week they're limited they only have a few during the year Um, but maybe now they'll have something that they can get themselves better prepared for the Ravens rushing attack because it will be probably the best rushing attack especially if uh, Dobbins and Ingram are back that they'll face all year and it was a very close game it was a coin flip game when they played just a few weeks ago in Baltimore so maybe the Steelers could use this to their advantage.
2: Well, uh, John, what do we see beginning at 930 this morning? We wondered if we would even see Matt Patricia on the sidelines after what Detroit did on Sunday. Um, I've always liked Deshaun Watson. I don't like how Houston's been running, how they got rid of everybody, but that's not their issue. Mm -hmm. That was their GM's once before. Uh, Sell us on the interest in Houston and Detroit early this morning.
3: Well, you know, I'm not exactly about to get a job at a, hopefully, uh, at a at a used car lot anytime soon. So I don't know how well I can sell it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
3: but, you know, uh, Matt Patricia, you know, he's he's a dead doctor. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he was given the mandate. He and GM Bob Quinn, the, the expatriates, uh, were given the mandate to make the team uh, playoff worthy, if not exactly in the playoffs. And they haven't come close to that. I mean, you look at what happened last week with the lions they're playing at carolina which doesn't have teddy bridgewater starting quarterback uh nor christian mccaffrey one of the best running backs in the league they've got a guy named pj walker who in college was known as philip walker uh making his first start and he's looking like he's stifling. he's completing passes all over the field against what's supposed to be matt patricia's great pet uh new new england defense in detroit and they can't stop him. they get blown out really against a team that had uh, that was it was a 3 and 7 team. Come on. The Lions were 4 and 5 going in and they, they get shut out. Hey, look, you know, I I'm, I'm from the Windsor area across the river from Detroit and you know, for decades Lions fans see these gut punches coming from way over the horizon. <laughs> for for going back, they've won one playoff game since the 50s. They see this and uh, I I really believe this is to be true guys. I think the Lions actually used to have an advantage On Thursdays, before the league instituted, uh, you know, everybody plays once on Thursday night with a Thursday night schedule before that went in whenever it was a decade or so ago. Uh The Lions, I thought, had an advantage because they knew how to turn around those weeks uh, on on an annual basis Uh because they always host this first game. They don't have that advantage anymore, so we're not seeing as many of the Detroit upsets like we used to see on Thursdays. Remember, a great Green Bay team would go in there, or a great Bears team would go in there, and they'd get blown out. We don't see that anymore. Mm -hmm. And for the Lions against Houston, as you say, Deshaun Watson, their quarterback... Um, you know, I, I've been pretty critical of him in the last couple of seasons in that, you know, he still takes a lot of sacks and he's so inconsistent sometimes in big games. He still is. I mean, we saw it in the in the two playoff games last year. They they, they were scoreless to Texas at halftime against Buffalo and a week later they had the big lead against Kansas City and he just disappears uh, for too many even when he had DeAndre Hopkins, the great wide receiver last year. But he has really done well this year. He's he's got like a twenty TD to five interception ratio is completing nearly 70% of his passes. He is an elite quarterback to be sure. So that's the reason to watch the first game. You to watch Deshaun Watson roll around and embarrass the Lions.
1: You know, John Crick with us here on Sports uh, Sportsnet 650. When, when you look at the idea of Deshaun Watson and where the Texans sit, I mean, the Jets w- should in theory take care of business barring a complete miracle here uh or a yeah. reverse effect if you will uh, down the stretch in this NFL season but like if the Texans were in a position to have a chance at Trevor Lawrence would they go that route and pivot from Deshaun Watson
3: no i don't think so you don't take a don't known think. for an unknown um Greg Costello, But a guy who's sure might
1: who, so. but a guy who might be a franchise like a legitimate franchise player that everybody's been you know wooing about for pretty much the last 3 years you don't you don't think that that would be the case no nope. No, because
3: Watson is one. I mean, he's proved that he can be one. I mean, and you and then you surround him with... You actually give him a better offensive line and give him a, a rushing attack. I think they're still last in the league in rushing. And you and you give him better receivers. I mean, yeah, he's got Fuller who just flies down the field all the time. That's great. But... um Name name their tight ends and their other receivers, right? You how many how mm-hmm. many fades could do that? He is a one man show on that offense. And their defense, despite having J J. Watt, has been horrible in pass coverage since his since I've been covering the NFL for a decade just about now. I mean, they need to upgrade their talent at, at various positions so that he's not out there with everybody on the team and all fans going to Sean, win us a game. I mean, you can only do that so much in the NFL before you break down, and he takes all these sacks. He's going to get hurt. He got hurt his rookie year. Remember, he had that fabulous start towards ACL. Mm -hmm. He's just under a lot of heat, and I wouldn't... When you've got a known quantity that this guy can be elite, he has shown not just flashes of it, despite my criticisms earlier, but to, to your point about trevor lawrence no and uh great cosell of nfl films is uh, one of the we don't know it's much in canada because we don't see, get that show anymore the nfl matchup show but he he pours over the tape and is as respected as anybody in the media or anywhere uh, inside football as far as knowing breaking down players and why they're good and why they're not and he was talking to some. He told me uh for a story a few weeks ago that he talked to somebody in the league uh about justin herbert i did a big feature on this rookie who's just spectacular if you haven't watched him folks watch him and you i mm-hmm. guarantee you if you haven't seen anything of have highlights you'll come away going wow after every game even the loss at miami anyhow he talked to this guy in the league who said that uh, uh he asked him who's better uh, uh, justin herbert or trevor lawrence he said from a physical skill standpoint he goes i'd take herbert
2: well, well, and he's that, he's proven it with his opportunity. That's what you did, uh, that.
3: That's the key. He's proven it. Lawrence hasn't. He's still an unknown.
2: Well, that's the issue you have with two as as you wait. Quickly this afternoon, you know, we talk about Watson doesn't have any weapons. There's nothing but weapons on Dallas, and Andy Dalton seemed to figure it out a little bit now, driving the car the right mm-hmm. way. Do you think the Cowboys, you know, as terrible as they've been, thankfully in an NFL NFC East, that's just the norm for everyone. Do you think the Dallas Cowboys who are that constant on Thanksgiving might have actually found a little bit of traction here and get things going against Washington?
3: Yeah,
4: I mean
2: the upset at, at
3: Minnesota was impressive. I mean Andy Dalton, he was concussed, right? To to, to be fair to him, I mean he was coming off he's playing his first game in I believe 3 weeks. Um mm-hmm. and he looked pretty good. He, he he actually played in that game the way I kind of thought that he would. I thought it was a smart signing in the offseason because small well, son never happened to Dak Prescott. You know, you want somebody other than Cooper Rush, the guy that had the previous two seasons as an emergency backup. And, uh, of course, when he uh, blew out his ankle, uh, Prescott in October, uh, Andy Dalton went in there and and actually finished and and able to rescue that game against the Giants. He played sidelessly and then he couldn't do anything until he got concussed uh, against Washington. So if he can get if he can get the ball in the hands of you know exciting rookie Ceedee Lamb and all his other great receivers, yeah. I mean they have got a great running back still in a, in, in Zeke Elliott. On paper, they should have by far the best offense of the four in that division, almost three rotten wins uh, with the division wide open. Uh, NFC East, sure. I mean Washington, um, you know they, their offense is is not anywhere close to I would say just about any position of, of Dallas's. Um, although Washington, if you're if you're looking at today's game, their defense has really foiled some teams this year and kept them in games that maybe they shouldn't have been based on their offensive play. Um, they even pulled out a couple of, of wins because of that defense. So will they slow them down a bit? Probably. Um, but, you know, we're going to hear a lot of things today, guys, about uh, Alex Smith's comeback after he had however many surgeries. I think it was 13 or yeah. or more surgeries to save his leg, first of all Um, that it was broken so badly two years ago and so you know it's gonna be a feel-good story that they'll talk about a lot on the on the tube today and um, it it would be a nice story if they were somehow able to uh, upset Dallas in Dallas Uh, I don't see it coming though do you?
1: no i don't see it uh i could probably <laughs> lean towards dallas in this one but uh you know it seems only fitting john that you would be stuck with a couple of turkeys here uh, to start your day in yeah. u.s thanks well done well done. Ah, ah, hair mm-hmm. and teeth buddy uh you take care of yourself and uh stay safe and thanks very much for taking the time with us again this morning Enjoy thanks the games, for having john. me on guys appreciate it thanks john there he is uh john crick uh post media senior nfl writer uh Looking ahead to the day's action uh, and the one marquee game, the one that I think everybody was actually looking forward to, Um, has been moved to Sunday. So, again, 13-27 and combined records from all four teams in action later on today, the first game kicking off at 9.30 this morning. All right, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Thursday morning. He's Perry Selkowski. I'm James Sabalski, Brian Burke just after 7 o'clock. And in a moment, look, the U.S. Thanksgiving date is always owned by the National Football League. The NBA, they've got Christmas. The NHL, what about them? Where's their gimmicky day? I'll tell you where it should be next right here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sobolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
1: here on this uh, Thursday morning. Brian Burke uh, back in the fold coming up just after 7 o'clock this morning. He's Perry. I'm James. And, uh, man, everywhere we kind of look these days, it's hard to kind of (laughs) ignore this pandemic and this second wave is coming like a tidal wave these days, pair. Uh, obviously, we were just talking a few minutes ago how the National Football League's had to pivot their Thanksgiving schedule with the Ravens and the Steelers now moved to uh, Thursday or moved to Sunday because of multiple uh, positive COVID tests within the Baltimore Ravens organization. And how about the World Juniors? You know, we're what a month away, Boxing Day. You know, save the date. It's the holiday tradition here in this country, and all of a sudden you've got the entire. Team Canada World Junior Selection Camp roster in quarantine for the next two weeks. Two weeks! Which probably
2: is longer than any of these kids have been away from the ice, been away from the game. And James, we sit and realize, okay, so the Steelers got to be moved, stupid move by Baltimore strength coach. It's affecting everything. The millions involved. NHL has the bubble. I always thought just quietly that the world juniors was going to go ahead. And yes, without fans was kind of, you know, a roll of the dice when you don't have that much money in the kitty. Like this is a Canadian team that everyone has been here. There was no borders being crossed. There was no quarantine deemed done. You thought, well, you know, as long as you stay inside your borders, you'll be okay. And they can't get it right. How in the world do they welcome teams from all over the globe, come to Red Deer, put them in their, you know, in their hotel, in their private floors, whatever they have, and think that it will go off without a hitch. Now, unfortunately, what is a great tradition in the in the holiday season, I don't know how you play. And how good are these kids after being away for two weeks, too? 14 days a long time away from hockey when you're trying to be at your
1: very best two weeks later. Wow. 10... Ten teams from ten different countries in the world right now, like Alberta is is just is a mess right now. Like we might look at Fraser Health right now here in our neck of the woods and say, oh man, like Fraser Health, it's a gong show here, man. Like Alberta, they shut down the Alberta Junior Hockey League last night for the next month or until I think at least December nineteenth, December twentieth, and mm-hmm. now you've got this World Junior team that. You tried to effectively create some sort of hybrid bubble for this team during their selection camp, and then you got Michael Dick, the head coach of the Vancouver Giants, who's an assistant coach with this team. He's in quarantine for two weeks. Jason LaBarbera, their goaltending coach. You think of those goaltenders. Like when was the last time some of these kids stopped pucks, right, mm-hmm. in meaningful games? And now you don't have your goalie coach to work with you for the next couple of weeks, and now you've stood down and you're in the middle of all this, and look – maybe things get better in the next three four weeks i just don't know how you could pull this off in your mind right now knowing what you've just done that you've effectively shut everybody down and collectively put them in quarantine where you had a staff member and you've got two positive tests within the team everybody coming into contact they're trying to do the best thing here um but man like at this point this feels so ambitious and I just don't think that Hockey Canada's got the resources or the International Ice Hockey Federation has the resources that they want to commit to to pull this thing off. Like, yes, it's a lucrative thing for TSN. Hockey Canada makes a ton of money, uh, you know, as a result of this tournament as well, when there's fans in the stands and there's tickets to be sold. But just to get this tournament off the ground for the sake of playing it out this year, pair, man, this feels really ambitious. And I'm kind of wondering more and more, like, You know, at what point does the federal government say, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea to bring in? Because think about I'm I'm sure you're going to have modified rosters this year. And the staff team staff that comes in like you're talking about roughly 40 people from each country coming in from Austria, from Switzerland, from Russia, from the Czech Republic, Mm -hmm. from Finland, from Sweden, Germany. You know, like, is this really a good idea right now? Like and I go for it, Alberta. Say this, I'll say this,
2: James. Yeah, they don't have the money, but if you are in that that cone under Hockey Canada, these kids have dreamt of this moment to hopefully be a part of that world junior team, sing the national anthem from the blue line as loud as they possibly can. This is step one for them to go, okay, man, i I've, I've made the team. I don't think we're dealing with anybody involved from a coaching, from a player's perspective under the Hockey Canada umbrella that are kind of just trying to circumvent the rules and snuck out for a chicken sandwich and do whatever. I just think this is the world we live in. No matter yeah. where you are, unless you're isolated, it can infiltrate you. And that's with Hockey Canada knowing that they've got control over it all. These kids are going to listen. It, it, I don't think anybody was, was uh, who left and started it. No, I think they're disciplined. And to your point, now you're welcoming teams from all over the world to come where you don't have that kind of control, where you're not sure of the character of some of these people. Yeah, I would think there's been some conversations behind the scenes in the last 48 hours going with exactly what you said. How are we going to pull this off? How are we <laughs> going to pull this off? And to your point, when all of a sudden the federal government goes, you know what? You, you can't anymore. We're not in a situation. You can't come to Alberta. We didn't want the NHL here when we were really low with our numbers because the whole issue was What happens if one person gets it? Dr. Bonnie was, oh, that player's got to be isolated and they're not going to play for a long time. And that wasn't what the NHL wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, oh, okay, 48 hours, maybe a couple of days, and then they can come back into the cohort. And here we are six months later. Well, what happens when one, well, how about this? You've quarantined a whole team for two weeks prior to the most important tournament of their lives. How can they be ready? And how are those numbers not going to go up when other teams join?
1: All right, let's get into today's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to take this
0: opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650.
2: Turkey with gravy and cranberry. Can't believe the Mets traded Dallas strawberry.
1: Oh, it's U.S. Thanksgiving today, which in a typical non-pandemic type year is one of the best sports days of the year. Admit it. How many of you have played hooky or simply took today off in years past to basically drink beer and gorge on food all day while binging on football? Thanksgiving isn't just for families in America. It's also for the National Football League. It's their day for North America's biggest league to strut their stuff and allow America and football and Turkey to celebrate one another.
4: Here's how you slice it. See, a lot of people don't know. You have to slice it down the middle. See, and then you slice it across this way. Because what it is, it's a it's a deboned Chicken stuffed in a D-boned duck stuffed
1: in a deboned turkey with dressing between the chicken and the duck and the duck and the turkey. There you go. I miss John Madden. So you've got the NFL and Thanksgiving. The NBA, they've taken Christmas and they've made it their own. Santa Claus and LeBron, they go hand in hand in sports nowadays on December 25th with a full day of marquee teams and names matching up each and every year. It's the holiday season, and Santa Claus is coming So it begs the question, though, what about hockey? Why hasn't the NHL taken a day to make it their own? And don't tell me it's New Year's Day. One outdoor game on a day that the U.S. has multiple college bowl games doesn't cut it. Needs to be bigger. Take a day. Make it your own. The NHL needs to take a day on the calendar and rule it. But when? What makes the most sense? Here it is. Halloween. Now to do this, the NHL has to go back to its dirty past and embrace a little bit of the violence it's been trying to get away from. Now, I'm not saying you got to turn back the clock and go to the days of the Broad Street Bullies, but they need to hammer down the fact that rivalries sell. Well, that is just ridiculous behavior,
0: and this is one of the reasons that the Vancouver Canucks are one of the most despised teams in the National Hockey League, despite their incredible skill level.
1: Oh, imagine Jack Edwards walking into a bar in Vancouver these days. How would that go? Uh, look, Halloween can be spooky, violent, gory. Think of hockey. Next to football, it's the second most physical sport of the four major sports in North America. And with fighting still tolerated, there's a next level element to the sport. The NHL has finally tried to sell and invite the skill and talent in recent years. And it's great. They've tried to move away more and more from fighting over the last 20 years. But the reality is, there's still a lot of hockey fans that want blood. Think about it! Halloween night. Philadelphia and Boston renew hostilities. Montreal hopes to massacre the Maple Leafs. And the Canucks hope to slay the Kraken as Titans clash by the coast. Cracks his stick over his knee. Wow. A little heat. A little rivalry. A run of games on a night that has a family feel, adding an element of festivities and gimmicks with the backdrop of Halloween. Look, the league is trying to move past the Stone Age, but it's okay to acknowledge it and push it in a fun and entertaining way.
0: Hughes, Patterson was
5: not in his wheelhouse, gets it back, there's the shot, Rebound, Besser, scores! Brock
2: Besser has turned the game!
1: The NFL has made Thanksgiving their own. The NBA rules Christmas. There's a window for the NHL to seize this moment. Take Halloween. The timing's great. It's almost a month into the season. Gives the audience a chance to sit up and take notice of the league on a day that offers a spectacular opportunity for the National Hockey League. <laughs> and that is today's Seaball Says. Uh, you're no
2: marketing magnet man so you want them to make halloween their day the one day of the year where most people in the demographic they want are going what are you doing tonight we're going out something to do let's take the kids we're walking out we're trick-or-treating we're going to a party you're doing everything except staying at home and watching on television when you're trying to get the eyeballs Not going to work. To ever have a day in the U.S. for hockey is never going to happen. Embrace what we have in Canada with Hockey Day in Canada, how we go around the globe and watch the three games and we celebrate it and Ron's everywhere telling us about the history of the sport. You won't get your day. Uh, You know, I know it's under the other competition, but there is the tradition that is Christmas with the World Juniors we talked about. But not on Halloween, man. Come on. How often will you be at home on Halloween in the last
1: 30 years of your life? You're out doing something. Perry, the kids aren't the ones that the NHL is chasing. The kids aren't the ones buying the tickets. It's adults. Look at the average age of a, an NHL fan. It's late 40s. They're fans so you like you. They want to you. dress up and go to a they're game Halloween for night you. rather than a party. They're, they're looking for you. Man, look at how many times there's been a game on Halloween night and people are dressed up and they're having fun and having a shaker. I'm telling you, there is an opportunity for the NHL to seize. Thanksgiving's the NFL. NBA's got Christmas. I think the NHL could have a lot of fun marketing Halloween and hockey night in one. Just saying.
2: Just lumber, lumber text line, six, fifty, six, fifty. Seaball hit his head today. Or
1: is Halloween the night? It's <laughs> Halloween hockey. <laughs> I don't think so. I nailed it, man. You can't even mess with me. You know, the people will be on board with this one. And you know that people are waiting for what's coming up in a matter of moments. Brian Burke at seven o'clock and Perry, no more BS coming up. We got to set the table for Burke here in a moment.
2: Oh, uh, we will. And I tell you, I understand the influence that you can have. But man, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks—he went too far. We explained that. No BS, just PS. That's ahead, six forty-five. Sports at six fifty.
0: It's all PS, no BS, right here on the starting lineup.
2: Let's get into it. Uh... 650 on 650. Uh, these are not making major headlines, but they're stories we need to know. They're not BS, everybody. They are just P.S. P.S. Sierra and Russell Wilson with a new fragrance out, and they've started marketing it this week. So I want to play a fun game of what you smell
1: like.
2: Mm. Okay, so we just have fun. Okay. okay. So I'll start it or you start
1: it.
2: ahead, okay, you go. Okay. You smell like a nice, spicy chicken scent. Really? So you want me to go buy a fragrance, R&C fragrance, and I can say, honey, you know what? If I buy this, I'm going to smell like a nice, spicy chicken freaking sandwich. James, is that getting it to the counter? Or are you going to Amazon to buy some r and because of that?
1: I remember Remember, they used to have the much, much music video dance parties back in the, uh, the early 90s, way back yeah. when. Uh, I worked at McDonald's my first real job and uh, there was a, the high school uh, had a, a video dance party and I was all amped to, to race over right after work and, and and raced over and there was a girl I was I had a big crush on and, and she was really, really kind of really avoided me that uh, that night at the dance and I remember kind of remarking to my buddy man like she uh, she's not really talking to me tonight I don't know what's wrong and he kind of looked over at me and he said maybe it's because you smell like a hamburger yeah kind of forgot to wash um, up after uh so maybe going sure. with the fast food uh fragrance may not work for somebody
2: she just wasn't into hamburgers or chicken like sierra is listen i i love russell wilson and how he can play but sometimes you know the instagram post in bed with his wife to announce that he's got a new deal with seattle then i i, I don't know sometimes sometimes they need to stay away dude HBS he's in the world he's of dirty. zoom <laughs>
1: huh he's nerdy like he's just he's totally nerdy right he's kind of showing off that he's got like he, he he won the lottery he got the hot girl
2: yeah yeah no you're right with that A uh, p.s in the world of zoom meetings you have to be careful in new brunswick there was a provincial press conference and prior to get going well someone wasn't aware that it was a live stream if you will thank you miss cunningham thank you dr tom bateman times and transcript
0: Oh, hi there. I'm worried that
2: uh, I'm here. Hang on one sec, folks. That is not me.
0: (laughs)
5: Everybody, please mute your microphones.
2: James, I don't know about you, but, you know, the number of times we've had to wear a mic in our TV career and I've had to go to the washroom. Boy, you've got to be really cognizant. Now, that's not going live stream. I would just be cognizant for the audio guy who could hear what you're up to when he had kind of you on cue. But I'm sure that's not the first. But that certainly was a live stream yesterday in New Brunswick.
1: Well, it was it was a scene right out of the Naked Gun 30 years ago. Right? Frank Drebin? Yeah. Left his microphone on, goes to the washroom, and, you know, Mm -hmm. boom. And here we are 30 years later. Alberta. There you go. Alberta.
2: Uh, P.S. No Steelers-Ravens tonight. Of course, if you don't know, the Thursday night are postponed because of COVID and all that. And I tell you what, Juju Smith outspoken on the social media platform yesterday. It's not fair!
0: It's not fair!
2: Well, that wasn't Juju. But that's what he's saying. And, James, it makes sense. They had a bye week taken away from them when they said, oh, yeah, you can't play against Tennessee. He goes, man, we weren't in the mentality of a bye week. We were preparing for the game. And you cancel it and tell us a bye week. We would have played tonight and had essentially a week and a half off. And then the NFL, you put the screws to us again. Boy, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers as a football team. What's not to like? But they'll be pissed on Sunday that they have to play Baltimore. And it's not their fault that this game was moved.
1: No, it's not. I mean, at the same time, you made the point that, like, hey, look, everybody can be infiltrated, right? And then some behavior can be a little more erratic than others. Like, you're still policing people. I went, You know what? Hey, I went into a mall yesterday, and there were a couple of guys who walked in, no masks. (laughs) It was like just some people still just doing their own thing, right? Well, and they should have been ticking
2: the $230 that you're supposed to right now. And finally, P.S., do as I say. Not as I do. Michael Hancock, the mayor of Denver, said that this week. COVID numbers are bad, people. It'll be a different Thanksgiving. Stay at home. But the mayor of Denver, even John would have been rolling in his grave after seeing him.
1: Because I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know
2: when I'll be back again. The mayor says all that. And then people see him jumping on a plane to go to Houston where his family is two days ago for Thanksgiving. Oh, man, can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) Stay at home, everybody. It's going to be a tough Thanksgiving. We'll get through it. Don't follow me. I'm going to the airport to fly to Houston to see my family. Man, the hypocrisy. Don't do it. Johnny Denver, one of the classics. One of the first songs you'll learn when you play the guitar. No BS, just PS, everybody.
1: Brian Burke joins us next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: Let's get it going. It's time to get up. I don't think there's ever been anybody who was better on the ball than Maradona. His vision and his skills and his instincts. I could say he's second best. I could say he's third best. But in his moment, I'm not sure anybody was ever better than he was. These guys are here to break it all down. Someone that just played with such incredible passion and when I say play the passion i mean in on and off the pitch because this man packed a lot into that life he lived hard there's no doubt about it let's have a little fun and make you a winner
6: god I, I'm gonna kill this guy when I get off the phone this is the starting
0: lineup with James Savolsky and Perry Solkowski
1: Seven o'clock. Time to rock. Savolsky, Solkowski here on Sportsnet 650. In this hour, the starting lineup of presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, our Butter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Well, we've uh, we've given them a few weeks off to refresh, recharge, and we welcome back this morning the one, the only. Brian Burke, a presentation of Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local businesses since 1892. Welcome back, Brian. How are you, sir? Good. Good to be back. Thanks.
2: Happy American Thanksgiving. How will you uh, celebrate today?
6: I'm working. Uh, I thought that was obvious right now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. And we're back. Come on. Are you good in the kitchen? Like, would you be able to tell listeners the the right way to do a turkey?
6: Absolutely. I, I do. You're talking to a single dad. I've been doing turkey for Christmas and Thanksgiving for 25 years.
2: <laughs> you had a brine and stuff in there? Because I'm like about five or six years into everybody comes to my house on Thanksgiving. So you got I some kind turkey. of secret recipe?
6: I, I make turkey. I make mashed potatoes. I make this special corn that my girls like. Yeah. And... um Something green, green beans usually, and then a salad. No, I don't. I don't do stuffing. I do stovetop stuffing. But I've I've cooked the turkey with my older kids. I used to make turkey about once a month because it's so easy, and you eat it for three days. So you have turkey on say Friday night, Saturday I have open-faced turkey sandwiches, and Sunday you throw a bunch of it into soup. I mean, it's it's so easy to make. The people that boast about making a turkey, it makes me laugh.
2: i I completely agree with you in the sense that i wonder why there's two days a year that people have turkey when you love it why are you holding yourself back that's a logical that's as logical as it gets you saying why wouldn't you make it once every six weeks and you can have it for three days if you love it that much why are you depriving yourself of it that my friend is knowledge we haven't had for a while
6: and cold turkey sandwiches are good too like do the open face turkey sandwich then take one to lunch pack a lunch i mean it's a very versatile meal. So, yeah, I've been making it for years. I make my own turkey. Um, I should venture out and do stuffing, but I just use stovetop. top. I think it tastes really good.
1: Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, Work smarter, not harder. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, something I wanted to, to touch on with you on the outset of this, uh, finally kind of being a little late to the party, but finally diving into your book, one of the things you kind of mentioned at the outset, your Stanley Cup-winning ducks in 07. You suggested that you guys would have beaten any team that's won the Stanley Cup since. Maybe the Capitals might be the one team that give, well, would have given you probably the, the toughest time or given you the best run for your money. Why Why do you feel that way? Because, I mean, there, there were some good Chicago teams, some pretty good Penguins teams. Um, why are you so convinced that that 2007 Duck squad would have, would have taken care of business against everybody who's won the Cup since?
6: Okay, so for people listening, um, what you're talking about, is, I said in the book, our players, we all feel that way. Like, this isn't Brian Burke's view on life. That would be pretty be, uh, kind of arrogant and kind of like, look at me, look at me. Um, talk to Tamu, talk to Prongs. Um, we all feel this way. And so we could have beaten every team since. Now, so people saying, are you saying your team is one of the greatest Stanley Cup teams ever? And, and my answer is no, you have to repeat Mm-hmm. if you're going to say you were one of the great teams ever, you have to repeat. And the fact that we didn't repeat means we can't ever say that. But I think we can say we all believe Washington would have given us a hard time, and we all believe we could have beaten, and Tampa maybe. But the top six, bottom six we had, and the defense we had, and the money goaltender we had, I think we could have beaten all the teams. But all of our players do. Again, it's not some arrogant thump in my chest, oh, I'm a great GM. It's more we all think bring it on. Bring bring those teams out. We'll play them seven games and we'll beat them.
2: It's a fascinating conversation because uh, never is the word lucky in the same sentence as a Stanley Cup champion. I mean, maybe you get on a roll, but you can't be lucky and win a Stanley Cup championship. I mean, there's got to be some skill. There may be some luck with some injuries. But would you be able to look, and maybe here's the easier way to frame this question, Brian: Are there bad teams that won Stanley Cups?
6: No, I think your initial statement is is wrong, but it's largely right. In other words, you can't be lucky to win a Stanley Cup. You've got to be good enough to win a Stanley Cup, but you need to be lucky too. Like you guys remember when we played Vancouver on our way to the Stanley Cup that year, there were three overtime games. Two of them were double overtime. Two double overtime games. We got that close to losing that series to Vancouver. So history will look back and say it was a 4-1 series you guys remember, it was a nail-biter. The whole thing was, that was the toughest series we played. That was tougher Mm -hmm. than Detroit. So you need some luck. You need to stay healthy. You need some timely goaltending. Like, we started that year without Shaguer and And we had Ilya Briscala fill in uh, admirably. So, like, there's a lot that goes into it. But number one, like, since this goes back, when I was a rookie GM in 1992, I, I bumped into the late, great Bill Torrey, and I said, Mr. Torrey, can you uh, I called him, Bill? I said, Can you give me some advice, young GM? What do you need to do to win a Stanley Cup? He said, well, you are going to play four series. You need to win four series. He said, You're going to play a big team, so you need to be big enough to beat a big team. You're going to play a fast team, so you need to be fast enough to beat a fast team. You're going to meet a team. You're going to meet a team that relies on special teams, so your special teams have to be special. And then one of them is going to be a hybrid. So you got to be all those components. And I go back to my Calder Cup team, and I played a very small role in the Calder Cup team. I was a lousy player. But I saw the way Mr. Allen, Keith Allen, put that team together. That was the blueprint for us. Now, you'd have to change it today. You can't have a top six, bottom six anymore. It'd have to be more like a top eight, bottom four, or a top nine, bottom three. But, yeah, we think that team could have beaten any team that's won since.
1: Why was that? Why was it not sustainable? Then, like in terms of the, the follow up, I think you guys went down in the first round in two thousand eight. Like when you guys were defending the cup, um, it, you still had a lot of the key ingredients in place. Um, give me a sense of why you think it just wasn't sustainable.
6: Well, because Tamu and Scotty retired right after we won. Came back mid year, and we were all screwed up cap wise. We just we had to let, let some people go. We had to make some cap decisions right away when they came back and what I should have done is waited for them. But we'd played in the Stanley cup or the, the conference finals, my first year there. And we'd won the cup the second year there. We're trying to maintain that standard. So we're like, we don't know if they're going to come back or not. So let's fill. So we brought in Matthew Schneider, brought in a couple other guys and brought in Topper Bertuzzi. Yeah. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't the same team. And then when they came back, we were all messed up, scrambling around trying to get guys in. So um uh, partly I should have been patient there and assumed the guys going to come back. But I met with Scott and he, Scotty and Lisa Niedermeyer, and I pushed them on it. I said, is there any chance you come back? Nope. Is that in their backyard? And was same thing. Nope. Because he had had his knee reconstructed, and I should have waited. But we were kind of like, no, they, they, we've gotten our crowd here used to a certain standard of play. We're going to keep it up.
2: Brian Burke joining us, as he does on Thursday morning. Uh, James saying he just got to your book now. Um, uh, I've been reading it. Uh, anniversary of Pat Quinn's death was this week. Uh, you write about Pat. You know what I found interesting, and you make no bones about it. You said you really, really worked on that relationship. He is your ultimate mentor. But... You said, it not that it wasn't easy, but you were going to make sure Pat Quinn was your guy. Was that always the game plan?
6: Yeah, and I should mention Sandra, too, because Sandra Quinn is such a lovely lady, and I mention her in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked on that relationship part, and this is a lesson for young people. Um, So if you admire someone in a a leadership role or an ownership role or a coaching role, uh, sometimes you can manufacture that friendship a little quicker then it would happen otherwise. So it wasn't any hardship for Pat to hang around with Brian Burke. Cause we got along great, but he's coaching the flyers. I'm coming to Philly. I got to make him make time. I got to initiate and say, Pat, I'm going to be in Philly. It's going to visit my roommate, Tommy Gorance. Can we go? I know you're practicing at 11 o'clock on Tuesday. Can we go for lunch after now? You got it in the calendar. So I'm the one initiating. I'm the one manufacturing the friendship. And again, if someone hates your guts, they're gonna say, No, we're not going for lunch. So you can't mm-hmm. just do this. It's got you gotta have some contact to start with, some some relationship. But I worked very hard to manufacture that relationship and obviously it paid off and I think obviously it paid off for me when Pat brought me to Vancouver and I think it paid off for Pat. I think Pat was really happy with the work I did for him for five years.
1: You um but man, like tough love, right? Like, you talk about disciplining, uh, you know, handing a suspension down to Gino Ogic, and he's basically telling you you don't have enough experience in the game of hockey. I mean, that, that's that got to be a hard conversation to hear from a guy who's your mentor in a lot of ways.
6: Well, he hung up on me, so it was a short conversation <laughs> um, Or I hung up on him, I can't remember which. But anyway, um, with Pat, was the thing about Pat, if, if there's one word... If you talk to any player, so if you call Jeff Courtnell, pick any player sure. and say, tell me one word that would describe Pat Quinn, everyone would say fair. Pat was big on fairness. You have to be fair to people. And he said, I have no obligation to make you rich, he would say to me, but I do have an obligation to treat you fairly. And he was fair with all the employees, with all the players. And it became a, a, a term that I place great value on, which is fairness. And so, but yeah, when, when Pat didn't think he got the job, my first road trip with him, we were going East for, I, I think Richie Sutter might've, we had some issue with Richie Sutter. We had to go to Toronto and I, and my ex-wife had bought me these nice wide whale corduroys. And I'm really showing my age. Remember those nice wide whale corduroys? <laughs> <laughs> guys? These are really, pair expensive, pair. really expensive pants, really nice. 30 years ago. And I show up at the airport with my, Button-down Oxford shirt on, and my wide-wheel corduroys, and I think I look great. It's a Sunday. We're flying on a Sunday. We're not even working that day. And Pat says to me, "Where do you think you're going?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to Toronto with you." He says, "Not dressed like that, you're not." <laughs> and I'm like, "Pat, we're not working today. I'm not wrecking a suit, sitting on a plane for four and a half hours." He goes, "Yeah, you are. From now on," he said, "You can get away with it this this time, but now you were After this, you wear a suit whenever you travel." So he he was he had real strict rules. I mean gave me grief about my not wearing French cuffs and I've worn French cuffs ever since.
2: <laughs> but the thing is he was always great with kids and they thought, you know, what, what a great guy to, to mentor young players. Did he change as the game changed at all, Brian, or was the foundation that was Pat Quinn always remain the same? Well, Pat was,
6: Pat was great with players player. Here's Pat's essential skill was listening. So I remember, I remember, Trevor's rookie year, he got screwed up. He wasn't playing very well. We we set up a meeting with Pat. And I I said to Trevor afterwards, I said, said, how do you feel? He said, I feel great. Really helped talking to Pat. And I heard through the wall. I couldn't listen to the conversation, but I could hear the voices. My office is right beside Pat's. And I could hear, I don't think Pat said 10 words in an hour. It was just Trevor spilling his gut saying, well, this is what bothers me. and Go on, son. And Pat had that cigar going, and he's the best listener I ever saw. And sometimes just talking to him, getting it off your chest, was enough. But if not, he always gave great advice. And he loved little kids. When my kids were little, they'd run in and Pat would drop everything and hug them. And, and he had that Wolverine in his office, and he tricked kids all the time. He used to he got my kids three or four times before they got onto him. So I'm at the office one day, and the receptionist calls me and says, um, these two guys are here from Smithers. They want to see you. So I go out to the front door of the old Coliseum. These guys have a stuffed Wolverine. They're from Smithers. They said it's a three year old female that we trapped and they stuffed it. It's on its hind legs, looks ferocious. We want to want you to buy it and we want you to let us go to the game tonight. So I'm like, How much? I think they wanted four grand for it. And I said, I'll give you twenty five hundred and two tickets. So they bought the Wolverine. And Pat had it till the day he died. I'm sure Sanders still has it. But kids would come into the office and Pat would say don't worry, it's dead. You can t- touch its teeth; it's got sharp teeth. And then the minute you put your finger on the tooth pad, it goes, rawr, and The kids would jump out <laughs> of their skins. And <laughs> I think they got, I think Pat Quinn got my son Patrick on that three or four times before Patrick wised up. But he loved little kids.
1: Wasn't it amazing how a guy could be revered in so many markets, and then in Boston, kind of known as the guy who almost killed Bobby Orr.
6: Yeah, but you know, Pat told me after he took out Bobby Orr. His buddies in Boston took him out, and he went to the Fours, which just closed, which is tragic. But the Fours was a a sports bar literally across the street, across uh, Causeway Street from the Garden. And one of the best sports bars I've ever been in. And Pat said a buddy has took him in there, and Pat went in there thinking he's going to get in a fight. And they asked him where his family was from in Ireland, and he told them, and they said, oh, it's all right then. And they bought him a beer. So I think Pat got booed in Boston. And Bobby Orr, he settled that score himself. Bobby Orr did. But, um, mm-hmm. no, Pat said that even that night that fans were, you know, if you're Irish, you're okay. Uh,
2: I almost hate to bring it back to what's going on now because you can just hear the enthusiasm in your voice, and he means so much to this city. and meant so much to you. Uh, let me ask you this. I mean, you were very clear when we were talking the spring. You were unsure how the NHL would finish off this season. Are you confident um, that they will be playing in January? And what do you think is the next move? Is it the league giving something or the players realizing there's really no options and you're just going to have to give back more?
6: Well, I I hope it's, I hope it's a combination of the two. Okay. So here, and that's a lawyer's answer. I realize that, but the fact of the matter is they're 50, 50 partners. So the players can, can complain all they want about giving more back, but I am telling you, the 13% or the 7%, the different figures that are leaking out, I said back in April, it would be a 40% wage cut, and it's going to end up being right about what I said, Forty back in April. They're 50-50 partners, so the question is not, are the owners making a great deal, taking more money back? It's how much money are the owners going to lose if they play on these terms, The players are going to end up owing that money regardless. In other words, whatever deal they make and come back and play, whatever deficit the owners take on is 50-50 the player's responsibility anyway. So the question is now, are you going to pay it now or are you going to pay it later? They're they're 50-50 partners. Now, the one discussion has been if Gary gets a new U.S. deal, Uh, then he can repay the owners out of this pool of money that the players owe them. That's great. But that means the cap is going to be flat for five to seven years. So do you want to pay now or do you want to pay later? It's the right group of players paying the toll. In other words, if you say we're going to defer some of these losses into three years from now, well, three years from now, the Vancouver Canucks will look very different than they look today. So I think no matter how you cut it, you sit in a room and say, okay, guys, we're 50-50 partners. So the question is, how do we divide these losses up? Can we defer some of it? But we got to play. I think the league needs to play. I think the union's going to come to that realization, and there is a deal there to be made. Because I don't forget the artist that sang this song. But nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Right? There's zero. The players don't have to worry about their cut if they don't play. They get zero dollars. Now, is a forty percent rollback or even a fifty percent rollback, and preserve play fewer games, preserve the season. Get back on the right calendar year because they say the couple have to be awarded by July 15th, and then we can get back to our normal calendar. What's that worth for the players? And the answer is it better be worth a whole lot. I think we're going to play.
1: Welcome back, sir. Um, happy U.S. Thanksgiving to you, and uh, we'll do this again next week. And remember, gravy is the ultimate performance enhancer with a Thanksgiving.
6: <laughs> I do gravy too.
1: <laughs> nice, as you should. Uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, right, thanks guys. See you, Brian. Uh, there he is, Brian Burke. A uh, presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited here this morning on Sportsnet 650. Down the hall we go from another truculent individual, the one, the only, <laughs> Sonia Aslam from News 1130. Uh, good morning, Aslam. Morning, boys. I love hearing how you'll
7: transition from one person who's like an NHLer or someone very well known to me. It's so, so nice. Yeah. You're the sunshine. Yeah, it's nice. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs>
2: How do we transition aslam?
1: smoothly? Okay <laughs>
7: uh, Okay, that's great. Uh, so yeah. we,
1: so tell me this, we are uh, like I'm a huge fan of the series The Wire, and in season three, mm-hmm. there was Hamsterdam, where they essentially legalized <laughs> drugs, uh, yeah. to which I think Vancouver's going with the Canadian chapter of Hamsterdam here. Can you explain?:
7: With the uh, what's happening in, in Vancouver?
1: Yeah, yeah, legalizing so, uh, or or legalizing at least pos- or decriminalizing possession of hard drugs, essentially.
7: Yeah, it's it's a push, but the stuff needs to be approved by the feds. So if it does go through, it is Vancouver's the first city to do that. And I know when this was first proposed by the mayor, a lot of people were like, "Oh my gosh, this is just like Oregon, which in the U.S. presidential election pretty much legalized everything from cocaine to weed." so um it, it it is a big step now what that means in terms of resources and crime and opioid numbers in this city um we got opioid numbers the new ones from the province yesterday and they're still really bad you know like we're seeing five people die a day in this province because of opioid use and drug use so um it, it's definitely an interesting move but we still need to you know cross some t's and dot our I's so it's happening uh right now but we still need some more approval to go through.
2: Yeah, so it's not like all of a sudden this is good. And the approval has to come from the federal government, doesn't it?
7: Yeah, it has to come from Ottawa. So, And the likelihood of that happening is um, <laughs> slim at best. So it's a proposal. It's an idea. It's out there. That's great. But there's still a, you know, quite a few more steps that have to go through.
1: Um, and meantime, kind of a, some squirrely numbers yesterday with uh, the latest COVID numbers where, like, they were, they're were they still up in the 700s, but man, like there was a whole lot of fact-checking for like the previous eight days in Fraser Health there, Sonia.
7: Yeah, so the Tuesday numbers, which were the really, really, really scary numbers, that was over 900, almost 1,000 cases, was actually an oops number, we found out, because the province confirmed that there was a quote-unquote technical glitch. Um, maybe someone forgot to carry the one, I don't know. And what happened is that they reported uh, more than almost 200 cases that didn't actually exist. And the Fraser Health numbers are still bad. They are still leading the region for, you know, the worst case scenario, but they weren't as bad as we first thought. Um, That doesn't mean that anyone in the Fraser Health region is off the hook. You can go break the rules. No, no, not at all. But in terms of overall case numbers, they sort of messed up.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you know, I was I was working on the on the outdoor light yesterday because I want to have the timing of the day correct. Uh, We may get back to daylight saving time sooner rather than later. What's the hitch that happened in Ontario that has affected what we may do next year?
7: So Ontario's government uh, late last night approved legislation following in the steps of BC because BC was the first one to do it. Following in our steps passed legislation to stay on daylight saving time permanently, meaning you don't have to change your clocks twice a year. Because apparently, and I don't know about you guys, this is we hear such gripe about this every You know, every six months when we do it, people can't stand the fact they have to change their clocks. So Ontario said, "Okay, then we'll pass a law that we don't have to do this anymore. But it hinges on the fact that a couple of U.S. states near them, like New York, do the same. And B.C.'s legislation, which was passed last year and still hasn't gone anywhere because, yes, the pandemic happened. But our legislation is hinged and based on the fact we will no longer change clocks here if um, Washington state... Oregon and California do the same and do it first. So that's great that you passed Followers. a law, but we have to make sure everyone who is connected to us does the same. So it's not just a BC move, it have would have to be a West Coast move. and same in Ontario. They did it, but New York and a few other states have to do the same. Cuz yeah. you can't just change the, you know time. Like what is that?
1: <laughs> well, I mean just follow Oregon, right? Yeah, hey, they're going to they're going to yeah. I'm not I think it's okay to walk always... around with a bag of heroin and, uh, you know, what? Vancouver <laughs> could do the same thing apparently now. I, I, I totally, Hey, don't get me wrong. Like I, I say it in jest, but I, I also understand the, uh, the logic behind it based on what's been happening with this opioid crisis has been, you know, there's been no solutions at this point.
7: Sure, but there are still the consequences to doing stuff like this. 100%. Too. So yes. I don't want anyone to be like, great, free Coke. Yeah. No, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, ease up, you guys. Ease up.
1: Yeah. You Just think of that scene from Chappelle's Thanks show. Thanks right, for with clarifying. Yeah. Hey,
7: no no worries.
1: <laughs>
7: I do. I think of that scene, too. That's a good scene.
1: <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. There you go. Uh, go okay. Bad. We can't. We can't. Don't take it out of context. It's a Chappelle show. Uh, it's see, a bit, Aslam- guys. Just a bit. Yes, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Aslam. You Thanks, take care. Guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Later, Sonia. Bye. There she is. Sonia Aslam from News 1130 uh, from just down the hall. All right. 25 minutes after 7 o'clock. Your Canucks commute coming up with Ian McIntyre at 8. Bob Leonarduzzi will join us at 745 and reflect on the passing of the iconic Diego Maradona, who died yesterday at the age of 60. Uh, Bobby playing in that 1986 World Cup where uh, Diego was ultimately the star of the show, the hand of God, and ultimately winning for Argentina in 1986. That's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: Lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski
1: on Sportsnet 650, 7:31. This is a protest song this morning. Our own Greg Ballack, fuming, Why? fuming that uh, the weekend was snubbed from uh, Grammy nominations, and then uh, the weekend uh, taking to social media and calling the uh, the Grammys corrupt. Uh, I mean, like how 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 blinding lights doesn't get recognized. I mean, like that was that's the song of the year, right? Isn't it? Isn't it the biggest song of the year. everybody was doing the blinding lights challenge. We did it.
2: Yeah, um, but uh, you know, far be it for me to dive into issues of the weekend, but I do believe in what I read, part of his thought process as to why he was. Now, by the Grammy Grammys, is it not the same weekend or uh, that with the NFL and him getting the halftime gig that they kind of said it's one or the other? It's the Grammys or NFL halftime. Now, Ballack may, may know more than me in that, but I think that was part of the issue. Not that he shouldn't be nominated for the Grammys. But yes. I do believe at some point there was an ultimatum to him saying, hey, man, like you can't do both.
1: Well, all I have to say he... is Blinding Lights and the BTS song, the Korean K-pop group Dynamite, were the only two songs this entire year to sell 500,000 uh, downloads of their songs. Neither band were nominated for a Grammy. Doesn't 500,000 or 500 million? 500,000.
2: Mm. No, it's got to be million, no? Nope.
1: It's hard to make no, people just, buy just music YouTube. these days with Spotify and Apple Music. It, people aren't buying music as much as they used right. to. Yeah, Good point. You can, wa- you can watch on yeah, YouTube. But, but are the Grammy,
2: you know, it's kind of like, does the Academy Awards honor the most popular film? No. It honors what they feel is the best film. So, I mean, great that they had half a million downloads. But does that mean they're the best song? Is the most popular song the best song? I, I don't think that's always the case.
1: Yeah, it was the but the whole Super Bowl Grammys uh, situation kind of complicated things. And but like to to all of a sudden rule somebody out of a out of a nomination process because you may not be there, uh, that seems a little tricky. Nevertheless, though.
2: how did he come up with the name The Weekend?
1: Um, do we I know
2: think, the history do, of that?
1: I think Monday, like, what's to Friday. It, what's his team. real name? Do we know? I don't know. I, I can't it, tell you that. You know, go to go to Wikipedia.
2: Abel Tesfaye. So do people call him Abel, or like if you see him, hey man, it's the weekend. Hey, it's Saturday. No, it's not.
1: That's not my name. It's, his
2: name's Bob. Hmm. Abel. I wonder if they call him Abel.
1: A reminder yeah, that this maybe. hour of the uh, starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, Arbutus Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at Dunbar Lumber. Asking you this morning on our Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question, uh, what's the better day to take off of work during the week, uh, during the year? Uh, Start of March Madness, when your team plays in the World Cup, or U.S. Thanksgiving? Right now, it is uh, U.S. Thanksgiving leading the way at 43%. The day your World Cup team plays has got 38 percent of the vote and a distant third. I'm somewhat surprised on this one. The start of March Madness only getting uh, 90, 19 uh, percent of the uh, consideration here on this one. I, U.S. Thanksgiving definitely more of a hey, we're gonna have a feast today. I mean, if you if you have a if you have a betting app on your phone, chances are you might lean towards the start of March Madness based on how many games are kind of going down. Um, but I would I would say U.S. Thanksgiving's the day that I probably lean towards um, if I'm going to take one of those days. If I'm going to play hooky on one of those days, U.S. Thanksgiving's the day, just based on uh, years past that I have done many many times.
2: Yeah, uh, listen, I, I love when World Cup starts. That's a wonderful month. But if if your team, if your nation is playing, and you know they're playing at two o'clock. You know, you're, you're not that invested in, you know, a, probably the early game, right? You've got your 90 minutes that you're there for. You know, this morning at 9.30 when you turn on the TV and there'll be some college games going on, you'll you'll watch it. You know, we, we talked about JT Miller in the news, an article in Post Media, how, how JT uh, lost his mother-in-law. And after Game 7, win or lose in Vegas, he was heading home um, because of her health situation. Um, but he was talking about the here and now. And, she has since passed and and, and time helps heal, but he was going, Hey, I've never been home for Thanksgiving and he's in the Pittsburgh area. And he goes, listen, it's going to be perfect. I've got two young girls. So, you know, nice family Thanksgiving. And then they will be in bed just in time for me to watch the Steelers tonight. Well, obviously that's not the case anymore, but it is a football feast. And I think in part, we talked earlier this week, James, about uh, in 1979, this week was the first time, John Madden and Pat Summerall uh, broadcast together. I do think the Madden and the Turkey and showing the Turkey and handing out the Turkey leg just became an added bonus to this day. Okay. Here's another way to celebrate what's going on and has made the Thanksgiving football games as today. We see four teams playing that haven't been very good yet. They're still that intrigued because this is the day it's Thanksgiving football. It's the NFL.
1: Yeah, it is and, and I'll tell you what, Pear, like if there was ever a year for um, COVID to kinda hit and like a good friend of mine has has hosted for years, um, you know, it's kinda a US Thanksgiving tradition, has a big feast, invites people over to watch the games over the course of the day and obviously had to cancel it this year. But man, if there was a year to miss I mean you took mm-hmm. the best game you took the best game on the schedule today. And you've moved it to Sunday because of COVID concerns, uh, because multiple individuals within the Baltimore Ravens have now tested positive for COVID-19. But now you've got the four teams that are in action. And I get that the Cowboys are America's team, but they're three and seven. Washington, team stuck in the mud. The Texans, stuck in the mud. The Lions are kind of back to being the old school Lions, stuck in the mud. They've got four teams have combined for 13 wins this year, and they've lost collectively 27 games. Like, these are four dumpster fire squads here today. Like, if there's a day to miss U.S. Thanksgiving, go figure, 2020 delivers again.
2: Well, it does, but there is something to say. You know the tradition is – Thursday, you're in Detroit, first thing, and in the afternoon, you're in Dallas. That's the way it goes. Uh, John Crick, who joined us at 6 o'clock to talk NFL, made a very interesting point, I thought, James, because here we are Thursday, we're going to get a a plateful, at least the doubleheader of NFL games. But, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was it. Wow, we've got a Thursday where we're going to watch NFL. There was no Thursday night football, right? And he makes the point now that teams playing on Thursday, it was so rare, and Detroit had the advantage because they knew how to pull it off in the third week of November where other teams are going, okay, how are we going to work this schedule? But there's been a lot of good Thursday night matchups. There's been some duds, but NFL and Thursday is no longer synonymous to Thanksgiving. So other than the celebration, I can see why we talk as traditionalists, and I've been to Detroit and watched the Thursday Thanksgiving game and go, Wow, I can't believe we're doing it. It's not a Sunday afternoon. It's not a. They didn't have Sunday night football for the longest time. You had Sunday during the day. You had Monday night, and then that one off of Thursday Thanksgiving. So it doesn't mean as much. I don't think the records is good for Detroit, but even though they're terrible, next year guaranteed it'll be Detroit in the morning. It'll be Dallas in the afternoon, and people will be happy about it because it's Thanksgiving football to watch. And bad games are still games that keep people intrigued more. So probably from a betting perspective, but just from the history and the nostalgia as to what has taken place in these two cities on Thanksgiving Day.
1: We'll dive more into uh, JT Miller and what you alluded to with that story coming up at 8 o'clock with your Canucks commute. Also, uh, much more we'll dive into uh, Adam Goddard after making some news over the last couple of days as well. For all the wrong reasons on his wedding day, Ian McIntyre will join us uh, coming up just after 8 o'clock. But in a moment, uh, hey, one of uh, a Canadian soccer legend and a guy who's been a fixture in these parts for a very long time, Bob Lenarduzzi, on the passing of the legendary Diego Maradona, next right here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome to the starting lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet
1: 650. 7.45 here on this Thursday morning. Cebulski, Solkowski, your Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock. Bob leonard scheduled to join us here uh, momentarily uh, to reflect on uh, the passing of soccer giant Diego Maradona, who uh, left us way too soon yesterday at the age of 60. Perry, uh, a guy who is in the conversation of being the greatest soccer player who ever lived, uh, a guy who was a total rock star in his prime, winner of the 1986 World Cup, um, and an incredibly flawed human being as well. And and do you do you think like we're so quick to judge people these days in social media, and and I think it's a different time. Like, hey, look, it's not to say that people don't have you know um, personal issues, substance abuse issues nowadays as well. But you know, at, at that time in the '80s, you, you seem to kind of get a little more of a hall pass for partying a little hot, harder. But do you do you think part of the charm for Maradona was that he was flawed? I think so, um,
2: because nowadays you see the stories because there would be videotape and everything around. With Maradona, for so many, unless you're around him, you just heard the stories, right? You heard the stories, but then all you got to see as the public was when this guy gets on the pitch and you're going, Are you kidding me? Like, how talented is he? And, you know, as we see with a lot of athletes, uh, they're, what their performance can erase some other things, but he never hid what it was. Um, because a lot of people have some flaws. Uh, but here he was, arguably the greatest at all time, but not necessarily when he left the pitch. I think that makes his story that much more intriguing as well.
1: Bob Latterduz, joins us here this morning for more on this. Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. You know, I mean, I think of your career that overlapped with, you know, Pele and and probably more so in the late stages of, of Pele's career, but Maradona as well. You guys were both in the 86 World Cup I mean, first things first. Who was Diego Maradona to you?
5: Well, he's he's the type of player that that um, I love to watch because you you just didn't know what uh, to expect, and you know that that goal against England after the hand of God goal um, was wasn't a team effort. He picked the ball up inside his own half. And and when uh, you looked at what he had to, to get through, it seemed improbable that the outcome would be that he'd score at the end of it all. And, and he, he went by each of the English players like they were running in sand. And even uh, it went by Peter Shilton in the end to have the, the tap in. And, and that kind of brilliance, I've said this repeatedly over the last uh, day or so is, is something that you can work as hard as you want uh, to try to better your skills. But in his case, and he talks about the divine intervention of the, um, of the, the goal against England. I believe there was divine intervention when he was born and, and uh, whoever it is that looks over us had said, okay, this guy is going to be a special player. And uh, sure enough he was, but as you guys just said, he had that whole other side to him. And I don't think he cared about what people thought about the other side of his life because uh, you, he'd be forgiven for what he did on the pitch.
2: Uh, Bob, I mean, you were in that World Cup. He's arguably in his prime, but you're all there. I can imagine in Mexico, be it Canada, France, or someone, you see a team and everyone's, oh my goodness, there they are. These are the best soccer players in the world. Amongst the best players in the world was there almost that fandom or that standoffish and look and go, yeah, we're not anywhere near the group. Like you guys would have looked at Maradona and and been amazed to go, that's a level we will never get to.
5: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because the, the the, what I vividly remember was standing in the tunnel before playing against France, who were one of the favorites at that tournament. And and on our way to the, the stadium, there were the Mexican fans were were uh, lining up along the streets uh, to to welcome the bus, and and they were putting up hands like ten and for for France and, and zero for for Canada. And <laughs> so they they obviously felt that there was going to be a thrashing taking place. But we were stood in the tunnel before the game, very narrow tunnel, and uh, Platini's at the at the at the front of the line uh, as the captain. Tagana, Jures and all players that I we had watched on wow. on television and and so I remember looking down that their line and then and then doing a quick look down our line and <laughs> actually and it, and it's not denigrating it's just simply fact you look at who you're going out to play against and uh, you're a little bit in awe but thankfully we, we settled down very fairly quickly and and really did make a game of it, and to the point where when they got the winner with nine minutes to go, um, we were the team that looked, that looked more likely to score at that point.
1: Bob Lenderdusi here with us on, on Sportsnet 650. You mentioned that that goal that Maradona scores, the follow-up against England, like that is so overshadowed because of the, 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 you know, the, the notoriety surrounding the hand of God, but my goodness, Bob, like, that's probably got to rank up there as one of the greatest goals on, on a stage like that to pull that off. I mean, if you're an English supporter, you're just like, oh, how do you allow that? But the, just the <laughs> brilliance, like how many guys go on a run like I- these days in a, in a pro soccer match, you know, to just pick up speed down the line and dangle around a half dozen individuals and then to finish like that. Like I think that that goal might criminally fly under the radar at times because of the whole hand of God on that night.
5: It, well, yeah, it does, and I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't because yeah, it, it again, it it's such a it's such a range for that particular player in that uh, you know he's he's got the devil in him, and that was <laughs> that was evident uh, by yeah. the the goal and and his celebration after the goal. Like he he really. Uh, did what he needed to do to sell that. Yeah, no, that was a legitimate goal. But when he, the thing about him too is he's got such a low center of gravity. When, when he took the ball inside his own half, he was able to um, actually just drop a shoulder. And you guys will know what I'm referring to. And mm-hmm. if you dropped a shoulder, whoever was defending and likely the, the people in behind the defender would actually buy the shoulder and go in that direction. I can drop a shoulder and people will say, hey, it is if you got a bad shoulder. Um, <laughs> but he he uh, when he wrong footed uh, a defender, he I don't think he was that quick over a long distance. But what he had was just an explosive starting point and he would just blow by people. And that goal is a great example of it. It, it literally looks like players uh, cannot keep up with him. And uh, and then, again, to to actually round the keeper um, for Peter Shilton who obviously was still pissed about the, the, the goal five minutes earlier, it had really to just irritate him to no end for them to concede that goal and for him to be actually beaten like he was an outfield player.
2: Bob Lenaduzzi joining us as we discuss Diego Maradona. Bob, I wonder this. When you always talk about the greatest, you usually say how they changed the game. But I would surmise that Maradona didn't necessarily change the game; he just played it at a level that no one could play at. Is that fair?
5: I actually think it is, and, and simply because. And take that goal as an example. Like, when have you seen a, a, another goal? I I don't think, and I maybe if I if I. If I started going through files of uh, of footage, maybe I'd come up with another.
2: Uh, Messi might have one or two goal. close, right? But yeah, Messi,
5: like Messi does, but I don't think I've ever seen him take off from within his own half. So the, I think the length of of the dribble is probably in a, in a league of its own. So no, I, I don't think because most World Cups are t- when 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 things when World Cups come and go, normally that that and and with with the highest level of club soccer what normally happens at that point is you um, the, the the trend in the world starts to change with the teams that had success formations played uh, primarily but he's not about formations he's about get the ball and it's uh, it's it's just time to do what you're capable of doing and and if you ask others to try and emulate that they just can't it's not possible yeah.
1: Um, is it is it fair to ask for your Bob Leonarduzzi power rankings? Your top three players of all time. Rank them in order: one, two, and three.
3: Okay,
5: so I would say
1: it'll be Maradona and Pele, and I know that they
5: had uh, an ongoing debate, as did uh, Brazilians and Argentinians and anyone else that wanted to weigh in. But uh, I, I'd say I'd say Maradona because of his his his, his, uh, his individual brilliance. Uh, would be number one, Pele number two, and then the third is George Best. Uh, there's another guy who, much like Maradona, flawed, yeah. lived the life that uh, that he mm-hmm. he lived off the pitch and and really didn't give a damn about what anybody thought about that, and and it led to uh, an early passing. But boy oh boy, and I was in England at that time with uh, with Reading. Uh, when he was at Man United and match of the day would come on and uh, more often than not, Man United would be highlighted. He, he though, I think had more of a well-rounded game than what Maradona was when, when you uh, most of the time, those guys, the, the 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 individual players with the brilliance really aren't that keen on defending, but uh, he was, and he put, he put a shift in when, when his team didn't have the ball, but when he got it, he was capable of, of doing what Maradona uh, did and that he could actually uh, just go on a dribble and beat uh, countless people along the way and and score. I remember a goal he scored against Sheffield United where he did something similar to what uh, Maradona did, but those are my three in order.
2: Bobby, thank you for this. Uh, nice to catch up. It's been such a, a strange year, especially for what we saw in MLS. And, boy, you can only imagine the millions that would be out celebrating the life of Diego Maradona if uh, we yeah. were in normal times.
1: Thanks. Stay Absolutely. safe. Thank
5: you, guys. Bye-bye, then.
1: Thanks, Bob. There he is, Bob Leonarduzzi. Uh, boy, a soccer legend in his own right. Uh, and his, uh, his top three, George Best at number three, Pele two, Diego Maradona, gone way too soon at the age of 60. Uh, number one on his list. All right, your Canucks commute just around the corner. Ian McIntyre will drop on by. We'll dive into Adam Gaudet, JT Miller, and much, much more next here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck commute. Huge dances around Foster.com. In for Gaudet, who scores?
1: A beautiful set up by Quinn Hughes and Adam Gaudet has his 11th of the year. And the Canucks lead by two. It's three to one.
0: This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski.
1: It's your Canucks commute here on this Thursday, November 26th. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, our number three on the starting lineup. Uh, we'll be joined by Ian McIntyre from the sportsnet.ca, the TV side, the radio, the triple threat, if you will, coming up in just a few minutes. Um, I want to dive into uh, Adam Gaudet here in a moment, uh, Pair, because, well, the, the hockey god, if you will, has uh, created quite the d- discussion over the last couple of days uh, as he went viral for all the wrong reasons. But uh, uh, an intriguing story, um, an, eye- an eyebrow-raising story on JT Miller in uh, the Vancouver province in post-media that he may have missed the had had the Canucks actually been able to pull off the shock and awe come from behind win against the Golden Knights in the playoffs this year had they reached the conference finals JT Miller probably in all likelihood not a part of it right and and for for very good reasons dealing with his his wife's mom who had passed away just a couple of days after uh the series uh as she was battling brain cancer, but he was quickly on a flight to be back with family uh, that night after the game. But I I just, when I think about that, I'm glad we didn't have to go down this road, but I honestly wonder like how this market would have handled sort of the ambiguity and the unknown that JT Miller's had to leave the team out of time like that. And like the, the biggest time for the franchise in almost a decade.
2: Well, I I don't think you could have ambiguity. We got into it with the, you know, the summertime when it's unfit to play, and we just, well, what does that mean? Is it a, a COVID-positive test? Um, I, I think at that point you would have to come clear and and just say, here's, here's what happened. And then if you had issues with JT Miller, I don't know if you'd really need to be part of their fan base, right? I mean, these guys have worked for a living. Their job is to play hockey. There are more important things, and for J.T. Miller, that is family. And he had discussed with his wife to leave earlier, and she said, no, stay there and play. And then his plan was, after game seven, I'm going no matter what. Um, it, It struck me when I read that that, yeah, I didn't think that way. What I did think of James is in that dressing room with young men, what they have had to deal with in that time, which probably made them even closer, but Jacob Markstrom, Troy Stetcher, Zach McEwen on the break, his father passed away. Uh, Brock Besser, we saw it was the anniversary of his friend because he dealt with death earlier in his life. And then there's J.T. Miller. So there's six of, what, about 23, 24 guys that are dealing with someone close to their immediate family that had passed. Um, terrible situation. But for JT Miller, I would hope in something like that, that they would just say, hey, there's some really serious personal issues. I know with Jacob Markstrom, it took a long time. And I think that was because of him. He didn't want people to know. But you wonder. And unfortunately, when you're wondering, sometimes you you think the worst and you almost want clarification. Um, if JT Miller had to leave, you would know he was doing anything. And it must have been really substantial and and unfortunate if he left. But yeah, it's amazing what this team went through uh, with the difficulties that these young men had to endure.
1: Um. Yeah. No. No question about it. And, and and you wonder how this is going to impact. Now you got you just you got two really good character guys and, and more of the lighter side approach with Holtby and Schmidt coming into the room, and we'll see how that ultimately impacts the team. But man, this was a close team, and and a lot of guys, as you mentioned, guys who had to grow up probably a little faster than than what the average uh, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-old would have to experience. But um, nevertheless, a good read this morning in post-media. Uh, Adam Gaudet, pair. Um, I mean, it's been talked about widely. He has become a viral sensation for uh, casual non-hockey fans. They have kind of figured out who Adam Gaudet is now after the roundhouse kick on his wife's head on their wedding day um, between uh, a twerk video and then he follows it up with the kick. I guess, who and what is Adam Gaudette? Like, he just turned 24 last month. And, and like, what's his future for the team? Like, you know, the thought, is he a third-line center for this team? I, I, a guy who's, a what, 41% on face-offs probably says no, you know, for that sort of responsibility. But he does contribute offensively. Like, he's he's good offensively when you look at the numbers he puts up with very limited ice time.
2: Well, let me say this about Adam Gaudet. Um, as, as we come into this segment air at eight o'clock every morning and play, I am still standing because it's a Canuck song for last year. You know, players have goal songs. Adam Gaudet will score. Please, Adam Gaudet, make your goal song for the twenty twenty one season. Everybody loves kung fu fighting. I mean, you have to, you have to play with the video, right? I have been very. I i, I told this story before. Uh, my wife and I got into a really nice conversation with Adam Gaudet at one of the one of the events that we were attending, and I just that those kind of conversations win me over. But I do think Adam Gaudet flies under the radar. We sit and talk Jake and Jake and Jake Virtanen, and I'm the first to say I think Jake Virtanen is a guy who can sway success or limited success to this hockey team if he can somehow find that consistency. But you think about it. Gaudet had three less points than than Jake Furtanen. He played 10 fewer games. His shooting percentage is third highest among forwards that played 20 games. When he shoots the puck, he can shoot it accurately. He was good on the second unit power play. Like, I find Adam Gaudet can be that difference maker to that team. I know Berkey was on, you know, what Gaudet was, uh, was just playing, because I don't know if a guy like that, you can score in college, but can you score in the NHL? Yes, he can. Now, is Adam dead, are they pushing him in and going, listen, you have to be our third-line center? Or do they look at him and go, guess what? You're good enough to be a top-six guy, but you got to learn how to play the wing. I think he's willing to do whatever it takes to make this team because I don't think a lot of people expected him to be here last year, and he just forced his way. And if he has that attitude again, I think he can be a really big piece to this hockey team and can learn his deficiencies, improve them, and take over that number-three center role when Sutter moves next year.
1: I don't see him in the, in the center spot. I, I think this is a critical year for him, but I think Adam Gaudet's success is probably going to come in the wing. When you look at the trust and the expectations for what Travis Green wants from his players, I just don't think you can be a 41% guy in the dots. You know, you've know, you got to be better than 40% in your face-offs. Uh, I mean, for as much as we lament over the price tag on Jay Beagle and the price tag for Brandon Sutter, um, you know, I, I just think that if you're going to look at a guy who's playing in your top nine and a guy who's, you know, in the your third line role, I think the responsibility and you've got, you know, puck possession pair, like the importance of that yeah. now, right? From an analytic standpoint, I just, I don't see, unless he has a major turnaround, I think Gaudette's success is going to probably come on the wing in the National Hockey League. And I'll tell you what, man, like this year's critical for him. Because who's waiting in the wings? You know, Pod Colson's, what, six months away from being here? You know, mm-hmm. now's Hoaglander. A lot of people excited what he can offer. You know, where does he slot in? And, you know, how, how ready for prime time is he going to be? You know, Cole Lynn has taken some big strides in the last couple of years, right? So where does Godette fit in for a guy who, had he played a full 82 games last year, was projected for 16 goals and 45 points? Those are good numbers for a young player. I just Yeah, but you just mentioned he wingers, defensive.
2: right? So why wouldn't you see if he can learn what he has to and get that center position under control? Because the Podkoles and the hoglanders the land if they're there, they're not jumping into the center position. If Godet can get better defensively and learn. And, and that's what I like about it. Can this kid learn? Yeah, he's proven he can. Does he listen? Yeah, he listens. Okay, so here's where your deficiency, uh, deficiencies are in your hockey game. Here's where you have to get better. Okay, let's see if I can get better. And there's lots of areas, but I look at a player like that who was removed from college, expected him to get every situation possible in Utica, yet played so well. They said, we can't send him down. We can't send him down. Perry, he looked a he little had, had bit no like points. he was out of it when it came to the playoffs he because the level no was in but then the he adjusts.
1: He did nothing in the playoffs, though. Like, he did nothing. What you... he, he had no points in the in 10 playoff games. And you know how many shots he had for the entire postseason in 10 games? Ten games. You want to take a guess how many shots he had in the playoffs? He had four. Um, four yeah, but total shots. Yeah, so you throw shots. him out his
2: first ever playoff experience, you throw him out and go, this guy's never going to be it. I think you give him an opportunity. And he'll get that opportunity. I think he can grow into the position. So you I'm gotta, a bigger w- fan. What are you going to do? You're and, and move, and you're, they've you're got, got a sit lot Brandon coming on Sutter? the wing?
1: You're going to sit Brandon Sutter after the postseason he had? Like I understand No, I'm maybe not, not sitting him at all, that, but I
2: think like, – Adam Godette wasn't in the conversation when the season started last year. Now he is. Now he's going to have to fight his way, but it might be easier to move Sutter to the wing. Godette can play center, or Godette goes to the wing and sees if he can find it. But it, it sounds to me like you do with Ole Olevi. You're just, no, it's not going to work. Look at the experience he has. Look at the paycheck he has. You have to find guys who can fit. And I think he's showing you he can do more and more. So now you put a little bit more on his plate and see if he can grow again. And it. essentially what will be... Full season number two for him.
1: I just wonder if he might get a consideration to get a get a legit look, maybe in a in a some form with playing in that top six. You know, put him on the wing because he he does have that scoring capabilities. Uh, let's bring uh, Ian uh, McIntyre for a little more on this conversation. Good morning, Ian. Yeah,
4: Good morning. It, it it must be early because Perry was making perfect sense there.
2: <laughs> no, you just don't. A little listen more. Enough, a little more.
4: Like everything in life, you learn get better, do a little more.
2: Slow Isn't that then. the and listen, I don't think you would have said last September that Adam Godet is going to essentially force his way on this hockey team, but he did exactly that, didn't he?
4: He did. He wasn't supposed to be on the team. He he yeah. bumped uh, Sven Berchyi to the minors and as the season went on, he bumped Brandon Sutter to the wing and he is now their third line center and I don't think they're going back to Brandon Sutter or Jay Beagle as as the third line center and unless they're going to uh, get creative and convert Jake Vertanen to center that's where Adam Gaudet is going to play but that's not his that's not his ceiling and certainly what he does at that position is not limited to what he did at that position last year so he's a young guy Still has a ton of growth in his game, and uh, as as Perry said, he'll play a little, and as, as he gets better, they'll give him a little more and a little more, and so he'll he'll be the the third line center, but he'll he'll be doing more. Uh, with some luck, he'll be doing more this year than than he did. Last year, and he did a lot more last year than what people expected. Just has to work on his dance moves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can I kick it? Yes, he can. Um, yeah, You well, know, he... I
4: did the exact same dance at my wedding, but luckily pulled it off without a hitch.
1: Well, I, I've seen your yeah. finish. You're going to be a finisher in Metro Vancouver. Of, course,
4: of course, I'm tall, and my wife is five foot two, so that helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, and that was the thing when you got married—you always wanted to make sure you had that video, and then you put it up on TikTok on your wedding night, didn't you? Oh <laughs> uh, man, well, which it was either. an old I, grandfather I, I, clock that was in the corner of the reception. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, and shirtless—I didn't. It, uh, I kind of kept uh, kept the uh, blue tuxedo top on for the for my dance, but
1: with the fr- with the fr- with the frilly shirt too, right? <laughs> obviously yeah i uh, kind
4: of cr- i don't know how uh, how that's going to age with adam that that video uh because uh you know i i kind of cringe i don't know what you you guys are like i think a lot of people are like me you kind of look back and you're looking at the video kind of with one eye closed you're like oh man that's what we looked like this is what we did uh, this is how we talked but he had like beautiful I, I think, day, like, though happy yeah, happy day in my life but
1: look at look at uh, Derek I remember there was a great interview with like Derek Sanderson where he was absolutely shattered years ago and he's got the fedora on he's got his arm around a woman he's got like a dart in his hand and he's got like four fingers of brown liquor sitting in the glass like just just shattered and somehow Derek Sanderson's come out of it right I mean yeah. Gaudette danced <laughs> shirtless at his wedding. Kind of caught his wife at the top of the head. I mean, I feel like people have survived worse in life, yes, but yes. people are definitely talking about it. That's like, do you? But going back to Goddard on the ice, do you really think that like his future is in the middle here for the Canucks? Like yeah. not on the wing.
4: I mean, why not? Until somebody better comes along, he's he's their third line center with a lot of upside. You know, they don't have. Other centers in the organization has become a weakness. They they traded Tyler Madden, uh, and he wouldn't have been ready to be the third line center this year. Although, who knows? Uh, yeah, Godet Gaudette is Godet's the guy, and and they're gonna bring him along, and they're they're doing that already. I'm, I'm trying to think where I read it. It it might have been Harmon Dial saying that the Canucks of of Sent him penalty killing video. I think it was Harmon. If not, I'm giving him credit mm-hmm. for it, anyways. But uh, sure. that the Canucks are have, have and Travis Green is, has with the off season package and the coaching staff always stays in touch with these guys. They've sent him some stuff to to try to expand his repertoire and perhaps he'll be part of the penalty kill. And that's again, as as Perry was saying, it's something that you can add it's something that he didn't do last year that maybe he'll do this year and he'll he'll continue to get better he's a guy who he's a guy who is uh, better than anybody thought he would be last year struggled a bit in the playoffs but i suspect will be you know better than what some people think he'll be this year too
2: it, it, he strikes me as the guy, and Travis Green has said as much. I mean, the one thing about being a pro athlete, you are going to make mistakes. What infuriates coaches is when you continue to make that same mistake, right? And I think Adam Gaudette is is a smart hockey player and, more importantly, doesn't think he's the greatest hockey player but listens to what he was told. So I'm sure the Canucks, if they're sending him information about the penalty kill, there's Adam Gaudette watching it and going, okay, so this is how I have to be better. I mean, he's surrounded by some young, naturally gifted players in Pedersen and and in Hughes. I wouldn't say Bo is that naturally gifted. Bo takes what he has and makes it better. And to me, I always think if those are your leaders, Adam Goddett's kind of like, hey, I don't mind hanging out with you guys because I'm young and I can be part of that group. And I think that's how Travis Green sees him. No one ever sits and talks about a hockey team and how great they are at the third line. But when you become a good hockey team, you have to see that depth. And I would think with what Dead is, what they pay him, they just go, this might be the perfect project that this guy's only going to get better and can be here long term.
4: Well, and, and so much of what drives him, like most of the guys who get to this level, is that hunger for more and that belief in himself that he can be better than what other people think. And look at, his, look at his career arc. I mean, he's a young guy, and his NHL career is still very young, and we don't know what he's going to be or how good he might be. But look at where he started. You know, a fifth-round pick who turned into the Hobie Baker winner, became the, mm-hmm. the leading scorer in college hockey. And he did that because he was r- relentlessly driven to get better at everything he did, you know, his his skating, his puck skills, his work ethic. And when he signed uh, his contract with the Canucks uh, to leave university, the next day he was on the ice at college practicing his shot before getting on a plane to, uh, to come to Vancouver, wherever he was going. I can't remember if he came to Vancouver, whether he... Yeah, he did, because he played a couple of games at the end of the year, right, after he signed. So, you know, the morning after, he was out there, not celebrating, he was practicing. And when you spoke to his, his coaches, they all talked about how hard this guy worked. And that is really what allowed him to get a, a foothold. I mean, he, he was a skilled guy in college. I don't know if he's going to be a, a high scorer in the NHL it's too early to say it's hard to score in the NHL um but but he nobody thought he was going to be a high scorer at or certainly not as high a scorer as he turned out to be at college and he wants to always be better and he wants to do more I remember talking to him last year about is it discouraging at all at times if you think about it that you know you've got Bo Horvat and and Elias Pettersson ahead of you like how is he going to be a top 6 center if centers is position and he said no it's you know great players but he he's going to continue to get better it doesn't dissuade him it doesn't doesn't he doesn't feel like his limit uh, ceiling as a player is a third line center and that's great. you You want guys who have have that in them, that they constantly want more and they want to be better, because if you don't, then how are you going to improve?
1: Fair enough. Um, enjoy the u s. Thanksgiving festivities of NFL football with a bunch of sub-five hundred teams later on today, IMAc.
4: I will. You Thank you.
2: Take care. See thanks buddy week. thanks See for you. agreeing with common sense I always enjoy it oh the two
1: of you the two of you guys are insufferable together here. you guys like peas and carrots since you became golf buddies this summer
4: uh, we haven't played golf since uh, June.
1: yeah maybe winter no. golf. yeah the, the, do that's you why winter the, golf that's why a lot? the divots have finally kind of grown out
4: yeah i i do play play golf in the winter yeah. i i play your i play less in the winter of course but if it's if it's dry I'm out there but it's I have to say, you know, living uh, in Steveson, not far from the border, often in the winter, I'd pop across the border, play Loomis Trail or North mm-hmm. Bellingham, Semi when it was open to the public, because these courses are really dry and really quiet in the winter. So mm. uh, I'm I'm going to have to find winter golf here, and, and it's not going to be as quiet. People yeah, are, I don't know man, if I'd consider people, Steve. The, uh, people are yeah. playing golf this winter, no matter what.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I would consider uh, Steveston when you have to get past the traffic at Ironwood uh, close to the border. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long
4: as you're not going at rush hour in the morning, you're fine.
1: <laughs> Take care, sir. See you, guys. All right, there Ian? he is, Ian McIntyre. Yeah, I, man, I, that's a good point. Like, how many people, you know, would normally and, like, the prices are really good just south of the border, too, right? And You get around Blaine and Bellingham with some of those golf courses that are there, you can go and and play even point the course at Point Roberts, nice course to play. And how many people are kind of stuck with it? But man, like every day, I drive by the Beach Grove Golf Course here in town, and you know Towson Springs. The people are out there religiously this fall. Doesn't matter the it weather, ha- man. People are out there.
2: Uh, in in most uh, club pros or managers that I talked to this year, when I went out and played, everyone had incredible years simply because people needed something to do. Social distancing, you could get done. You're outside, getting fresh air. So I'm not surprised when Ian says yeah, it's Still tough to find places to go. Yeah. I have never embraced winter golf. I may, though, a little bit in a, in a few weeks. I had an opportunity to play the other day. I can't obviously because of post operation surgery, but maybe in a few or four weeks, I will go. Okay, let's uh, let's see if I can work on my golf game for the winter time. See if we can get better. Look, at this. people saying you
1: the progress, man. The progress of 2020. You are uh, you're toughening up.
2: Yeah, well, no, I'm always tough. Anybody who's plugged in a car for a living in the wintertime, you're tough, right? <laughs> That's a badge of Canadiana that a lot of West Coast people don't have. You got a, are you a true Canadian? No, not car. if you lived on the West Coast. Yeah. You have to plug in a car and realize, oh okay, God. it sucks in a lot of the other parts of yeah. this country. Now, all... if you're smart, I... you leave it because it sucks. I... And we're but all I direct influencers
1: of climate change, leaving our cars running to warm up for 45 minutes in the driveway back in the day. <laughs> oh, Wasn't <laughs> <God. laughs> the, the worst. Right?
2: <laughs> oh, the greatest thing ever, and it was a sign of wealth because oh I was God. probably making $35,000 a year, <laughs> is we had the automatic car starter oh yeah so you didn't have to walk outside to start that car and let it warm up for 15 minutes you just went to the big bay window and clicked it and then it would start you go that's awesome it's going to be warm when i get in there oh Western Canada, Eastern Canada, I love you.
1: (laughs) 26 minutes after 8 o'clock here on this Thursday morning. Still to come, Brian Burke joined us bright and early this morning. He weighed in on the NHL's return to play plan, the disconnect between the players and the league, and he also goes down memory lane and shares some wonderful stories about the mighty Quinn as we lost him earlier uh, six years ago this week. That's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. (laughs)
0: Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
1: All right, eight thirty-one. Sabolsky, Solkowski. back. Uh, we're on the, what are the the back nine or is this the back three of the show here this morning, pair? Uh, yeah, no, I don't minutes.
2: think we're back nine. We've uh, we're turning the we we're, we're at we're at the sixteenth at Augusta. Got a par three and a little par four, a couple of par fours in front of us, but we know where we stand in the leaderboard. Which, well, you no, know, to Chris Wall's point, and you've covered a lot of World Juniors there, so how do you make your cuts now? You, know, you can't get on the ice till December 6th.
1: Well, in fairness, like, I, I, I covered six World Juniors, and it was typically I would head to Calgary uh, around December 6th to 8th in and around there, and they would have... You know, it was about a four day camp with mm-hmm. and, and then make their cuts after you know a couple of scrimmages, and and that was that. So, you know, to be honest, this is all kind of house money with what they've done here for pretty much the last couple of weeks, you know, to True, get everybody guess, in here yeah. and, and to get them to work. So, I, I think like in a lot of ways, it might just fall in line more with what we've seen in years past. The difference is, is so many of these guys haven't played a game of any sort since the winter so i you know team canada might be like you know you look at the advantage that some of these teams in europe have had perry like this might be some ugly hockey from team canada like i i think that there's a recipe for a big disappointment for canada at the world juniors this year based on the lack of activity for a lot of these kids
2: yeah where some in europe have been playing yeah yeah listen it's going to be as with anything in sports right now it will be a strange tournament, but for all these kids trying to get as much action as they can, and now the entire team having to shut down for essentially two weeks—difficult uh, for everybody. Hey, eh? we talked about Michael Dick, his his chance to get involved with the you know the national team and the junior coaching. Well, tough to coach when you can't be on the ice and and really can't be around to to put this team together. Hey, it could be in a month's time we look and go. You know what? We got so tight in that situation because we couldn't do anything. These guys became uh, uh, the tightest hockey team I've ever seen as far as getting to know each other. So uh, they'll be that flip side if we want to look at the glass half full. But tough situation. This whole tournament is going to be watched with interest to see if they can actually get it going.
1: Brian Burke joined us earlier this morning here on Sportsnet 650 on the starting lineup um, to discuss, you know, the, the NHL's return to play plan, the disconnect right now between the players and the owners. Uh, but not only that, Brian's got a great new book out, and honestly, if you haven't read it yet, uh, just in time for the holidays, I highly recommend getting yourself a copy. It's a very easy read with some fantastic stories, as he kind of pulls no punches going through memory lane through his life. And uh, this year, this week marked the six-year anniversary of the passing of one of the most impactful uh, hockey people that this market has ever seen in Pat Quinn. and Brian went down memory lane to share some stories about the mighty Quinn here on Sportsnet 650.
6: If you admire someone in a a leadership role or an ownership role or a coaching role, uh, sometimes you can manufacture that friendship a little quicker than it would happen otherwise. So it wasn't any hardship for Pat to hang around with Brian Burke because we got along great. But he's coaching the Flyers. I'm coming to Philly. I got to make him make time. I got to initiate and say, Pat, I'm going to be in Philly going to visit my roommate Tommy Gorantz. can we go I know you're practicing at 11 o'clock on Tuesday can we go for lunch after Now you got it in the calendar so I'm the one initiating I'm the one manufacturing the friendship and again if someone hates your guts they're gonna say no we're not going for lunch so you can't mm-hmm. just do this It's got you got to have some contact to start with some some relationship but I worked very hard to manufacture that relationship and obviously it paid off. And I think obviously paid off for me when Pat bringing me to Vancouver. And I think it paid off for Pat. I think Pat was really happy with the work I did for him for five years.
1: You, um, but man, like tough love, right? Like <laughs> you talk about disciplining, uh, you know, handing a suspension down to Gino Ogic and he's basically telling you, you don't have enough experience in the game of hockey. I mean, that that's gotta be a hard conversation to hear from a guy who's your mentor in a lot of ways. Well, he hung up on me,
6: so it was a short
1: conversation. <laughs> <after that. laughs> uh, or I hung up on him.
6: I can't remember which. But anyway, um, with Pat was the thing about Pat. If, if there's one word, if you talk to any player, so if you call Jeff Cortnell, pick any player, sure. and say, "Tell me one word that would describe Pat Quinn." Everyone would say "fair." Pat was big on fairness. You have to be fair to people. And he said, "I have no obligation to make you rich." He would say to me, "But I do have an obligation to treat you fairly." And he was fair with all the employees, with all the players. And it became a, a, a term that I place great value on, which is fairness. And so, but yeah, when when Pat didn't think he got the job, my first road trip with him, we were going east for I, I think Richie Sutter might have. We had some issue with Richie Sutter. We had to go to Toronto, and I. And my ex-wife had bought me these nice wide-whale corduroys. Now I'm really showing my age. Remember those nice wide-whale corduroys? <laughs> <laughs> you guys? These are really, pair, expensive, pair. Pa- really expensive pants, really nice 30 years ago. And I show up at the airport with my button-down Oxford shirt on and my wide-whale corduroys, and I think I look great. It's a Sunday. We're flying on a Sunday. We're not even working that day. And Pat says to me, where do you think you're going? And I said, well, I'm going to Toronto with you. He says, not dressed like that, you're not. I'm like Pat. We're not working today. I'm not wrecking a suit, sitting on a plane for four and a half hours. He goes, "Yeah, you are." From now on, he said, "You can get away with it this this time, but now you were After this, you wear a suit whenever you travel." So he he was he had real strict rules. I mean, he gave me grief about my not wearing French cuffs, and I've worn French cuffs ever since.
2: <laughs> but the thing is, he was always great with kids, and they thought, you know, what what a great guy to to mentor young players. Did he change as the game changed at all, Brian, or was the foundation that was Pat Quinn always remain the same?
6: Well, Pat was, Pat was great with players player. Here's Pat's essential skill was listening. So I remember Trevor's rookie year. He got screwed up. He wasn't playing very well. We, we set up a meeting with Pat. And I, I said to Trevor afterwards, I he said, I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel great. It really helped talking to Pat. And, I heard through the wall. I couldn't listen to the conversation, but I could hear the voices. My office is right beside Pat's. And I could hear, I don't think Pat said 10 words in an hour. It was just Trevor spilling his gut saying, well, this is what bothers me. And that go on, son. And Pat had have that cigar going and he's the best listener I ever saw. And sometimes just talking to him getting it off your chest was enough. But if not, he always gave great advice and he loved little kids. When my kids were little, they'd run in and, had to drop everything and hug him, and and he had that Wolverine in his office, and he tricked kids all the time. He used to he got my kids three or four times before they got onto him. So I'm at the office one day, and the receptionist calls me and says, um, these two guys are here from Smithers, they want to see you. So I go out to the front door of the old Coliseum. These guys have a stuffed Wolverine. They're from Smithers. They said it's a three-year-old female that we trapped and they stuffed it. It's on its hind legs, looks ferocious. We want to want you to buy it. And we want you to let us go to the game tonight. So I'm like, well, how much? I think they wanted four grand for it, and I said I'll give you twenty-five hundred and two tickets. So they bought the Wolverine, and Pat had it till the day he died. I'm sure Sanders still has it. But kids would come into the office, and Pat would say, "Don't worry, it's dead. You can t- touch its teeth. It's got sharp teeth." And then the minute you put your finger on the tooth, Pat would go, the
1: <laughs> Kids would jump out <laughs> of their
6: skins. And I think they, I think. Pat Quinn got my son Patrick on that three or four times before Patrick wised up, but he loved little kids.
1: Wasn't it amazing how a guy could be revered in so many markets and then in Boston kind of known as the guy who almost killed Bobby Orr. Yeah, but
6: you know, Pat told me after he took out Bobby Orr, his buddies in Boston took him out. And he went to the fours, which just closed, which is tragic. But the fours was a, a sports bar, literally across the street, across, uh, Causeway street from the garden and one of the best sports bars I've ever been in. And Pat said a buddy has took him in there and Pat went in there thinking he's going to get in a fight and they asked him where his family was from in Ireland. And he told him and they said, Oh, it's all right then. And they bought him a beer. So I think Pat got booed in Boston and Bobby, Orr, he settled that score himself. Bobby Orr did, but um, mm-hmm. no, Pat said that even that night that fans were, you know, if you're Irish, you're okay.
2: Uh, I almost hate to bring it back to what's going on now because you can just hear the enthusiasm in your voice and he means so much to this city. and meant so much to you. Uh, Let me ask you this. I mean, you were very clear when we were talking the spring. You were unsure how the NHL would finish off this season. Are you confident um, that they will be playing in January? And what do you think is the next move? Is it the league giving something or the players realizing there's really no options and you're just going to have to give back more?
6: Well, I hope it's I hope it's a combination of the two, okay? So here, and that's a lawyer's answer. I realize that. But the fact of the matter is they're 50-50 partners. So the players can, can complain all they want about giving more back. But I am telling you, the 13% or the 7%, the different figures that are leaking out, I said back in April it would be a 40% wage cut. And it's going to end up being right about what I said. 40 back in april they're 50 50 partners so the question is not are the owners making a great deal taking more money back it's how much money are the owners going to lose if they play on these terms the players are going to end up owing that money regardless in other words whatever deal they make and come back and play the, the, whatever deficit the owners take on is 50 50 the player's responsibility anyway so the question is now are you going to pay it now or you're going to pay it later They're they're 50-50 partners. Now, the one discussion has been if Gary gets a new U.S. deal, uh, then he can repay the owners out of this pool of money that the players owe them. That's great. But that means the cap is going to be flat for five to seven years. So do you want to pay now or do you want to pay later? It's the right group of players paying the toll. In other words, if you say we're going to defer some of these losses into three years from now, well, three years from now, the Vancouver Canucks will look very different than they look today. So I think no matter how you cut it, you sit in a room and say, OK, guys, we're 50-50 partners. So the question is, how do we divide these losses up? Can we defer some of it? But we got to play. I think the league needs to play. I think the union's going to come to that realization. And there is a deal there to be made because I don't forget the artist that sang this song, but nothing from nothing leaves nothing. All right. There's zero. The players don't have to worry about their cut if they don't play. They get zero dollars. Now, is a 40% rollback or even a 50% rollback and preserve, play fewer games, preserve the season, get back on the right calendar year, because they say the couple have to be awarded by July 15th, and then we can get back to our normal calendar. What's that worth to the players? And the answer is it better be worth a whole lot. I think we're going to play.
1: Brian Burke, great stories and uh, great perspective that, you know, it's it's funny how some people kind of read the tea leaves well. I always go back, Perry, to a conversation during the NHL lockout when Trent Klatt was one of the vice presidents of the Players Association. And I remember talking to him saying, you know, if Bob Goodenough wasn't in charge, if Ted Saskin was the guy in charge, you guys, I bet you any money you'd have a deal in place because of the relationship he had had with, with Bill Daly. And I remember Klatt saying, yeah, we'd have a hard cap, for 36 million dollars and that was mm-hmm. like in the middle of winter before the season was canceled and what do you know like five months later it was a hard cap for i think 39 million dollars back in 2005 right and i think brian's kind of saying the same thing that we've had these conversations with brian months ago where he was like these guys are going to take a 40 percent haircut, haircut right yeah. Like there's these buildings are going to be empty You know, like, you're going to have to pay the escrow. Like, you know, as we all kind of romanticized about hockey coming back, he was like, guys, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you know what? He's kind of on point on this one.
2: I tell you, Sebo, I remember it very well. On the week where a newspaper article or some insider had the talk that possibly the salary cap was going up to $89 million. And we did a full show going, boy, it goes up to 89. They're going to be able to afford Markstrom. They're going to be able to get some guys. This really gives them breathing room. And it was probably that day or the next. Berkey comes on for his regular Thursday morning hit. And we go, hey, how much easier is that going to be? Because goes, I would just hold it here with this. You hear of this virus going on. I mean, I, I would just calm everything down. Who knows if we're playing hockey before we can get to the end of the year. And it was the first time someone actually had said that. It was jarring. So, Berkey does come up with it. You know, here's the thing in that conversation we had at 7 o'clock. Like, he talks like it's matter-of-factly when the when the office door is opening the Pacific Coliseum and there's some guys with a stuffed Wolverine. Like, is that an everyday occurrence? And then Berkey's right there giving him 2500 Like, was there a conversation before that? Or do guys just show up and go, hey, you got any interest in a stuffed Wolverine? And Berkis, yeah, I've been thinking about that for years. That's awesome. Like, it was just kind of ruled right along like that's a common occurrence.
1: Yeah. Where were you all my life? I had needed a yeah. stuffed Wolverine. <laughs> I've been looking everywhere for a stuffed Wolverine. So good. Uh, 846, uh, final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Tool show next, right here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Sportsnet <laughs> 650. This is The Starting Lineup with James Sobolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
1: Nine minutes to nine o'clock. The Scott Ritual Show ready to take on over coming up at the top of the clock. Cebulski, Solkowski uh, ready to go uh, out of here and watch some football today, my friend. Uh, first game starting off in about uh, just under 40 minutes from now.
2: I had a good chuckle. Uh, our producer, Mike English, uh, was letting it be known the last time that uh, Houston was in Detroit to play Thanksgiving football would have been when Warren Mood was a Houston Oiler. And Mike was actually there because the Grey Cup was going on, I think, in Toronto-Hamilton. So Mike was always smart, right? Going, well, let's make maximize our money. Let's go down Thursday. We'll cover the NFL game. I believe Mike said he actually watched it. OJ was on the sidelines. Um, I was texting who his cameraman was. And Mike, who has a history of maybe losing stuff, I said, hey, English just mentioned... Last time Houston was there, you're on the sideline. He goes, I remember it well. He goes, that was the great cup where we had no heat in our hotel, and English couldn't find his keys. We spent three hours looking for it, only to realize they were in his winter coat. (laughs) I just said, some things never change, hey?"
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What's old is new again after all these years. Oh, Mikey, we love you. Uh, We're back at it tomorrow on Friday. Uh, We're going to steal an idea. Yeah, because that's what we do in radio sometimes, a little thievery from time to time. But the boys on the program earlier this week had their uh, Canucks all-time draft. Uh, Bick, Sat, Walks, they had their draft. They basically went around and picked their roster of, you know, three forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender. We're going to do that tomorrow at 8 on your Canucks commute. And we're bringing in some big guns to make some selections as well. A couple of former Canucks and now analysts, guys who've been around the team for a long time, Corey Hirsch, John Garrett will join us at 8 o'clock to do just that tomorrow. So looking forward to that. That should be some fun, pair.
2: Okay. I uh, Listen, does that mean I've got to take Garrett for my all-time goalie and you got to take Hershey?
1: Well, where would where would Cheech rank in terms of your all-time goalies? No, they can take themselves. It'd be nice if they did, right? I would. Why not play that? Uh, Well, I don't
2: own the all-time. There's four of us, so were there four better goalies in that position? Hey, Cheech was an all-star game. I'll break down the stats. I'm looking forward to that, though.
1: There we go. We'll do that tomorrow. Until then, we'll talk to you same bad times, same bad channel right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.